We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it's Alex here from the True Faith Podcast. This is a podcast recording of the um, True Faith Press Forum, which took place on February the 1st um, at the Tyneside Iris Centre in aid of the West End Food Bank. Uh, all of the journalists who came along and everybody who spoke, Sharon Percy, the host, uh, Zahara, who's filmed this for YouTube, um, they all gave up their time completely free of charge in aid of the West End Food Bank. Now, on the night, 180 people attended the event and were raised... Uh, over £2,200 uh, thanks to ticket sales and uh, very kind donations from Graham Forster and Steve Wraith. Um, so if you listen to this podcast, I, I really, really hope that you will donate to the food bank. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, that's why everyone's come together to talk to you um, about Newcastle United and the stuff you're going to hear over the next two and a half hours uh, is absolutely fantastic from the lads who, who spoke on the night. To do that, you can quite simply text from your phone um, a £5 donation, uh, that's really, really easy to do. You text um, NCLF00 um, to, you text that to 70070, uh, or you can donate online through the um, charity checkout page. And I'm going to put a link to that on the description of this podcast. You'll also find a link on the uh, the TF Weekly Pod, at TF Weekly Pod, TFNUFC um, podcast, Twitter. So we're going to post that link at the top. Last time we put this podcast out for the first press forum, about 5,000 people listened to it, um, and 5,000 people certainly didn't donate. So if you listen to this, I'm going to stop waffling, but please donate. It's to a, it's to a fantastic cause. And if you, know, if, you, if you listen to this now, if about five to 6,000 people listen to this, all donated £5, it's, a, it's an absolute fortune, and it will feed hundreds of families across Tyneside and, and, and the wider region. So I'll stop waffling. Uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please subscribe to the show if you like it, and uh, I'll let Sharon take it away. What we're going to do is just remind you, everybody's here. We're going to do it in three sittings. We've got these four guys opening up this evening. We've got Craig Hope. We've got Wallace Wilson. We've got Simon Bird, and we've got Colin Whittle. So come on, guys. Put your hands together for the team starting off today for the tonight is we're going to answer the questions that I've got in front of me and then if you've got time before the end of each session we'll take questions off the floor. Is that all right? Fantastic. Right, here we go. Hello gentlemen. Oh, Sharon. Oh, all right? Oh, hey, it's all been going on, right, hasn't it? Not really, not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> not that much. Actually, yeah, that's true. But uh, I, I, I feel that there's quite a bit to talk about tonight. Um, so opening up with our first question, the first question I've got on my bit of paper tonight is, why do you think 
well, haven't made a permanent signing in January. Are the club tight, skint, incompetent, or a mixture of all three? So who would like to answer that one first? I'll go. Yeah. Go on then, Craig. I think in the, the isolation of this window, it's not really important whether the signings were permanent or loan additions. It was just important that they got bodies through the door and players who, who Rafa wanted. If you think the, the objective for this season, for the next four or five months, is to stay in the Premier League. So whether that means bringing in a, a £20 million striker, as in the, the guy from Feyenoord, Jorgensen, or getting Islam Samani on loan, it doesn't really matter because all, all the counts are staying in the Premier League over the, the course of the next six months. Uh, I don't know yet whether it's been a, a good window or not. I think only, only really time will tell. And to give you the best example, I'll take you back two years when uh, Newcastle and Sunderland were in a similar sort of situation. Sunderland brought in the, the three Ks, Kasri, Kone uh, and Kirchhoff. At the same time, Newcastle spent the best part of £30 million, £25 million on two England internationals, John Joe Shelby, Angus Townsend, and not forgetting uh, Henri Savi as well. Uh, and you would have thought Newcastle had the better window, undoubtedly, but it, it come the end of the season. It was the, the three players who Big Sam brought in down in Sunderland who kept them in the division. So I don't think we can determine just yet whether it's been a, a success or not. Only time will, will tell on that front. I certainly feel more confident than I did at, at the start of the window. Uh, I think they are three good additions. Well, I don't know anything about the goalkeeper, uh, but certainly I think Kennedy's a good addition, as he proved last night. Yeah. Uh, Islam Slamani, I uh, spoke to my colleague who works down in the Midlands and he said, listen, he's a good player. He said the only reason he hasn't shown it at Leicester is, is the, the never-ending success and durability of, uh, of Jamie Vardy, basically. So, so yeah, I, I am more encouraged than I was at the start of the window. They have got bodies in. They are players Rafa did want. Rafa is happy with that. Uh, to answer the question, are they incompetent? Well, well absolutely. Uh, <laughs> We know that. I mean, they've only joined the party on January the 29th. Uh, Mike actually spent 15 days in Miami. Lee Charney spent an entire week of the transfer window dealing with the Peter Beardsley, the Peter Beardsley yeah. case. Uh, so, yeah, they, I mean, Lee Charney has spread so thinly across the, the football club. Thankfully, there's a lot of them to spread. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but there, there is just this, this power vacuum. I said this the last time as well. There is this power vacuum at the club uh, at executive level whereby Lee Charney is having to deal with everything. So, it almost come to January the 27th, 28th, and it was like, right, guys, come on, let's go. Mm. What's this transfer window all about? Yeah. And thankfully, they have managed to get a couple of bodies in. Uh, time will tell whether it's been a successful one or not. Thank you. Anybody want to add to that? Hang on. Um, are they tight? Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> are they skint? Um, well, they are compared with the top six, top seven clubs, um, but they're not completely skint. They should have had 15 to 20 million to spend. Um, are they incompetent? Yeah, they're not very good at getting deals done, and that's proven in the last, certainly in the last three transfer windows. We we're just trying to work out exactly what Newcastle have spent this. Um, this January, uh, we obviously loan, loans aren't, aren't, don't come at no cost, you've got to pay the loan fee, so we reckon the loan fees are about four and a half, five million, um, wages on top of that, four million, but they've, they've got really five, six players um, and saved probably three and a half million to the end of the season of wages, so probably the net spend is like four million, which is <coughs> tiny for a, a club that's trying to um, supposedly build under a great manager. Um, and, and get themselves out of the hole at the bottom of the bottom of the division. Um, has it been a good transfer window? Well, uh, as Craig said, that'll be that'll be proven in time. I think it's been okay. It was rescued on the last day. Slimani might, if he gets over his injury quick and bounces a few goals in, be a good 
a good addition. The keeper is apparently decent, but we've not seen anything of him yet, and there's pressure on him. Um, Kendi looked very good last night, didn't waste the ball, great delivery, um, really had something different. Um, I hope that continues. So, you know, but it's just ticking over, really. It, it was just getting bodies in that they needed, um, and they needed to do an awful lot more to keep a manager like Benitez happy, and they need to do it really a lot quicker as well. Mm. They looked at 50 strikers, and Rafa's pretty happy with the scouting and the system behind it um, that he's got behind him to identify players um, and see well, the background checks and check them out. And he he's not he's not a daft man. He's not he doesn't want to spend money willy nilly and waste it for Newcastle. I think he's quite from his talks with the journalist that he's quite serious about um, the way he uses the club's money. Um, and you know he presents the deals in a very structured manner and says this is what the wages are, this is what I think the value is. And the frustration with the Jorgensen, Jorgensen deal was that supposedly his first choice, um, he'd identified him in December, told the, told the powers that be in January the 1st that that's who he wanted. And it takes till kind of the you know, 23rd, 24th before Newcastle are actually laying down money on Reynolds' <coughs> door to try and get him. And that's the, I think that's the biggest frustration that, you know, there's a, there's a manager here with massive experience identifying targets, knowing what the deal is, thinking that they're worth 20 million because he thought he was worth 20 million and the club bids 13, 15, three weeks after they could have gone in for him. And that's the kind of frustration we have. It might be an okay window if they survive and they've got a bigger war chest for the summer, mm -hmm. um, but we just don't know yet. I think, I think the, the, the key thing to understand is that Mike Ashley isn't interested in Newcastle United's bank balance. He's only interested in his own. Mm -hmm. And he's, um, he's concerned, I think, about um, having to bail out the club if it does get relegated again, which he's had to do twice before because of his own mistakes, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I think what's actually happening um, from, from my observation is that he's requiring the club to have um, a reserve fund um, which will be used if they get relegated. Oh, thank you. All right, okay. Um, which will be used if they get relegated um, and uh, save him dipping into his pocket as he has twice to, uh, to subsidise the, the club over the, uh, the championship season. So they've probably um, kept back money which will effectively pay for a championship season. And um, only when they get through that, if we get through that, if we stay in the Premier League, then there will be more money to spend in the summer uh, because um, obviously then you've, you've generated money, you've still got money in the bank, you've got a new tranche of money coming in. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Ashley really isn't bothered about whether Newcastle United are in the Championship or the Premier League, apart from the impact it has on his advertising. And um, I, I feel that what's happening is that um, the what, what disappoints me in a sense is that the, the level of expectation that people have about our club has been suppressed successfully by Mike Ashley. People, a lot of people were thinking, you know, going into this transfer window, oh, we're not going to say anybody, um, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll meander on, we might get one or two loans in. So when we get three loans in, people are, you know, reasonably content with that. We shouldn't be. This is Newcastle United you're talking about. You know, we get 52,000 in the gate every other week. We shouldn't be 
satisfied with that, that's not what this club is meant to be about. You know, we should be top six, and we should have been top six for the last ten years. It's only because this man has come in and successfully managed to almost like disintegrate the fabric of the club that we're actually prepared to accept three loan deals. This is not the way it was meant to be, and we've, I think as a group of people, we've, then, we've now got to start taking seriously our responsibility in terms of getting rid of this parasite who's managed to lodge himself in the body of the club and become the club we should be again. probably not be surprised to hear that I'm very much with Wallace on this. I think the problem that we've got is we've got an owner who really isn't concerned about Newcastle United and how well Newcastle United does other than steering off relegation. So I think for me, he's, he hasn't backed the manager once again. The fact that they're running around the last couple of days on the transfer window, getting loan deals in, to me just says they're not backing the manager. What he's doing is he's relying on a world-class manager to be able to on, keep it up this on, season. Do you want us to repeat that? <laughs> One, two, three, four. Oh, I can't go then. So, so I think I think he's got no concern for Newcastle United. He knows he's got a world-class manager who can probably squeeze enough out of the squad to be able to keep her up this season and avoid relegation. Uh, and I think that's very disappointing. I think the fact that we're running around right on the last day getting loans in. Um, says it all. We should be backing the manager. I think under this manager, if we're backed up, we'd be in a much better position. He keeps saying, you know, uh, we're, we're not a country, Man City are backed by this, but we just like to be able to compete with the People's Republic of Wolfgang, uh, and that's not even happening. And so I'm very disappointed. I think Kennedy was excellent last night, very impressive. Can't really comment any others, I haven't seen them. But personally, I wasn't expecting to buy anybody, and that's what's happened. And it wasn't expected to buy anybody because we've got a great squad and we don't need people. It's just that's the way, unfortunately, the owner operates. Got no concern for Newcastle United other than protecting these other brands. And that's really sad. Um, so, and what was it? The, the original question about incompetence, etc., etc. What I believe and what I understand from people who I've had various dealings with over the last couple of years, all the power lies in, in Sports Direct head office. I don't think there's any power up at Newcastle. Uh, Lee Chong is obviously the most senior person, but I don't think he's got any delegated authorities to actually do deals. Uh, as we keep saying, the owner, he keeps saying about the, the board, the infamous board, but um, it's all been ran down at uh, Sports Direct, the chair book. They make all the decisions. They uh, ultimately hold the purse strings. Unfortunately, they're strangling the club. Um, so I think it's a combination. Well, I don't actually blame the people who are working up there because I think some great individuals working there, but they're within, within a structure that gives them no power. They've took, the, the workforce is on a minimum, and, and unfortunately, they've just reduced everybody who's working up there to the minimum number of people to run a club. It's really a shame, to be honest with you, and it's very sad. Um, so I think it's a combination of all those things. We will be disappointed whether the, the key will be whether or not we'll stay up. But it's so, what kills me is the fact that we got promoted last season and if we backed the manager, we would, I'm not expecting to be top six or anything like that. I'm, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth, I think we're capable of doing that. But we're having to scrap around to avoid relegation. 
and I really think we're above that. And that's no disrespect to the other teams down there, but competing with Bournemouth with our 11,000s, etc. It's just, just beyond the pale, to be honest with you. Yeah. Thank you. Right, the second question I've got here is if NUFC valued the lad from Feyenoord below the Dutch club's asking price, who makes that valuation and how? What does Rafa make of it and who has the final say on how much we paid, if not the manager? Well, we, we sat down with Rafa on Tuesday, uh, and as I explained to you, the last time we have our on the record chat and we have our off the record chat, off the record is invariably <coughs> more enlightening than, than on the record. Uh, and the, the conversation turned to, to the guy Jorgensen in a roundabout sort of way, and Rafa said to us that he, he did rate him at the, the asking price, which we believe to be about 25 million euros, which is 22 million pounds. So it was interesting that, that Rafa did think he was, he, he was worth that amount. He was willing the club to, to pay, basically. Uh, but it was, it was clear that that just wasn't going to happen. I think he, he had the message that they weren't prepared to go above sort of 15, 16 million. So uh, who makes the valuation? Uh, Rafa has one valuation of the player, and it's quite clear that Lee Charney might actually have, a, have another valuation, and they, they couldn't come together on that. Uh, there actually is, I don't know if it's been reported before, but there, there is now a, a transfer war room, believe it or not, at the training grounds. Uh, it's been, seriously, it's... it's, it's or, empty, or a little cabin, isn't it? Yeah, well, it looks like... <laughs> An empty little cabin. It, it looks like the hood from Arvidas and Pet. Uh, the only difference was the hood had never go. This cabin's got no fucking door. Uh, but anyway, this, this, this hood, quite suitably, is on a little scrap of wasteland. It's pathetic, it is, but so, someone jokingly they said, oh, I bet you'd love to get a bug to bug that hut. I thought, you're kidding, aren't you? Want 30 days of silence and something in cups of tea. Uh, you know, we, we don't do that sort of thing anymore, we don't as journalists. But, uh, <laughs> Sharon, Sh you've got a voice now. <laughs> yeah, so listen, Rafa, in, in relation to the question, Rafa really wanted yogurt, so I thought it was interesting when he he hinted to us that Jorgensen was number one on his list uh, of, of Simon said there earlier about what 50 strikers and they had a, they had a top five interestingly Daniel Sturridge wasn't on the, the top five uh, it was just an opportunity which presented itself late in the window they decided to act on it uh, I don't know if Daniel Sturridge was ever intent on coming to, to Newcastle depending on who you talk to uh, Newcastle thought they had him I think reading between the lines now it was only ever applied to, to get more out of West Brom in the end and there's suggestion of one or two different payments being made in different directions which uh, which has infuriated Newcastle I think to be honest they've, they've probably been played on the storage deal but but yeah in, in answer to the question Jorgensen was he number one for me going into deadline day I thought the best chance of getting a player was just paying the money and, and getting Jorgensen in whether he's any good or not I, I don't know I saw him play for uh, for Denmark when I was covering Ireland in the uh, the World Cup qualifiers then I didn't think he, he didn't sit he didn't stand out I checked back with my merit marks making two fives uh, which didn't instill much confidence but uh, yeah listen they've got Samani in personally I think it's a, a better bet than Jorgensen given the experience he's got of the Premier League but as I said earlier only time will tell it's, it's a good question at who actually you know decides what the value is and it's obviously a, a, something that clubs talk about and I, I kind of don't mind Newcastle going in and trying to drive a hard bargain 30 million 15 million but if you've got a, like a manager like Rafa and he, you want to give him power and you know the choice of who he wants, 
there comes a point where you actually put the money on the table and you say, okay, 18, 19, and really tempt them. Because 15 was never going to tempt them if the asking price was 22. Um, so I don't mind them driving a hard bargain initially. Or the other tactic is, which probably Benitez wants, is for Newcastle to go with a proper serious bid on the 1st of January and have him available for three more games. Because you know, the games are running out now. Um, and if you go in with proper money, 18 million first bid, 12, 16 first bid, 18, 19, you might get it early in the window. And I think that's the kind of thing which Benitez really gets frustrated. He always says in his quotes, we were ready January the 1st. We had our list. We gave it to the board. And it's for others to act then and back him. And you've got to manage it like that. You've got to back him or he'll just go. Yeah. It's a good point you make, actually, because Rafa has said to us all through December when the, the conversation does turn the transfer window, I've got my list of names ready to go now. This was, what, December 15th, December 20th? Just think of the, the impact someone like Kennedy could have had in that, that home match against Swansea or some of the other games during January. That, for me, is this points already squandered because Newcastle dragged their heels. And as I said earlier, didn't really join the party until the, the final week of the window. Thank you. I mean, as a humble fan scene right now, I don't get the insight that the guys have got, but I mean, I'm presuming Rafa lines up the players he wants, or, or he picks out the players he wants, has an idea of what the valuation is, and submits it to somebody who might make a decision and do the negotiation, and they like a hard bargain. It's, it's, it's a real contradiction, isn't it? Because when, when he's wanting to sell the club, he won't um, negotiate there. He'll, he'll ask for the maximum that he wants and he'll not move, yet adopt the opposite strategy when I want to buy a player, which will give the minimum. Um, it's, it's very sad, I mean, I back what the guys are saying there, if he's got a valuation on a player, let's put that valuation in, get him as early as we possibly can, he can integrate with the team, three extra games, instead what we're doing is we're getting players at the end of, end of January. So presumably some, something falls down somewhere along the line, and I think that's what I said in the first question, which was the deals are not done by people in and around Newcastle, not the decisions, the decisions are somewhere else. Yeah. They'll decide how much is going to pay. People who've got no interest in football or got no interest in valuing players, just people who want to screw down deals. That's the and, and unfortunately, yeah. that's what that's what the position is. We, we said to him in one desperate press conference mid-January, can you not just tell Charlie to do the deal and forget Mike and just get him to sign it off? And he, and he, it just couldn't happen. You know, he, he's got to run. Charlie has got to run everything by the money men. It's, it, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. My belief is, is Charlie is, is the same as probably one of the branch managers in Sports Direct. So, which is, you'll get some delegations up to a certain figure so you can, you can buy the tea and what have you. And we'll make a little, have a little bit more mixed look at it as they buy the tea. I don't think he's got that much power. But the thing is, right, he, I, I don't think he's any different because that's the way Ashley treats the club. The club is just one of his playthings along with all the other assets that he owns. And I think what happens is, Unfortunately, Charlie doesn't have the power to be able to do all these things. Everything's ran from somewhere else. And if you try to overstep the mark, you'd be out the door. And he probably doesn't want to be out the door on that salary. And the frustrating thing is, Rafa's not just throwing names out willy-nilly here. They're doing massive research on who he wants, on you know, lists of targets. He's already lowered his expectations from being Real Madrid manager to shop in a market that he thinks Newcastle are in. So he probably wouldn't sign Jorgensen if he was at a, you know, a, a more successful club around Europe. Um, so he, he's doing all that research and he knows everything about the deal. He knows all the age. He's taking hundreds of calls every week um, and he's compiling all the financial information for them. So it's not like Newcastle have got to do a boardroom level, a load of information research in the deal. He's got it all there and he's presenting it. So <coughs> Rafa puts a hell of a lot of work in, yeah. which ultimately a lot of it goes to waste, which is quite sad. Yeah. Mm. I think, I mean, for, for me, just picking up one of the things that was mentioned there is, is the fact that 
the, the delays could be catastrophic. Yeah. Because, you know, we've missed opportunities against Swansea and Burnley to take four points more than we've got. And the difficulty that we've got now, we've got 13 games left, and I think we've still got six in the top seven to play. And so far this season, we've taken one point from, from those seven teams. So um, we're in... We're in dire straits, and we've been put there by the, the way that the club operates, which is, again, about screwing down costs and making sure that there's money available to support the club if and when it fails. Thank you very much, guys. Moving on, next question. Is Justin Barnes still involved at NUFC, and if so, how much influence did he have in this transfer window? Well, he, I think he's in the, he was certainly in the director's box at some point this January. Yeah, he um, he's probably influential, and he was a lawyer trying to sell the club for Mike Ashley. But whether he's the one who gets the call and says yes or no to the money, I, I, I pretty much doubt it. Mm. Um, I don't think in the transfer window he's probably a very significant <coughs> figure. Yeah, when it comes to the transfer window, I don't think he, he does have that level of influence. No. Right. Okay. I don't like his dad, Cliff, in Dallas. <laughs> Remember the last talking, that last talking when we were doing introductions and I was, because nobody knew who Justin Bond was. Uh, my name's Justin Bond, there's people hiding glasses in it and everything. And uh, I, I'm going to be honest, he might be part of the team that's down there influencing what they can and can't spend on players. We don't know how much of, a, of an influence he is, but we know that the deals aren't being done through people he have in control, certainly. Okay, thank you. What is the real reason Daniel Sturridge didn't sign for NUFC? Well, the, the reason given was quote from the agent was geographical reasons. Uh, looking back now, having, having spoken to different people, I don't think he was ever intent on coming to Newcastle. He certainly uh, led Newcastle to believe that he was he was going to travel up, and that they thought they had him. There was a lot of confidence there. Uh, but his family have got connections with uh, West Bromwich Albion. Certainly, something which has been suggested to me is. His uncle is an agent who had a player in West Brom who subsequently moved out of West Brom, was allowed to leave, so there's real sort of murky, murky waters there. There's suggestions of, a, of another payment to a family member, so all in all, I think the castle have probably been used on this one. Uh, he wasn't on Rafa's original list, apparently, so, um, but he would have been very happy. I think most of us would, here would have been pretty happy to see him come in. He would have been um, quite a good impact, though. When Rafa asked about him the other day when he when he slipped by, um, why he asked why he asked us why do you think he wasn't on my list and, and we said injuries and he, he shrugged so there's probably a few injury doubts about him still. I mean I, I think it'd be a good acquisition when he's not injured he's injured all, all the time but it just puts it into significance doesn't it I mean without being disrespectful to West Brom and Alan Pardew who I'm now going to be disrespectful to that guy went to West Brom and said Newcastle United. That's what, that's what we've become now. That's what's happening to our club, right? It's just an absolute disgrace. We did have a slight laugh, though, when Rafa said to us, uh, why haven't I signed Daniel Sturridge? You said, well, injuries. And then Simone came in with a thigh stream. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quite make sense, but that's not as bad as first report is. Uh, I'm just happy you're not going to see that stupid bloody dance. <laughs> That's because you can't do it well. Too old, man. He was doing that in his twenties, were not you? Are you going to be a mover, Wallace? <laughs> do you want to get up and do a few shapes? No. <laughs> right, Colin. This question's for you. Great, aye. 
Uh, what is the supporters' trust position on the continued neglect of Newcastle United in the transfer market? And have the club continued contact with the trust? Uh, continued contact with the trust. I mean, uh, I think the answer to that is no, they've never continued contact with the trust. In fact, they've never ever had any contact with the trust. Over the years, we've sent numerous letters. It won't, and the club always denied that they ever got letters from me. And at one point in time, we've got Kevin Mills, Chief Executive of FSF, to hand deliver a letter, and they're still denied to receive that as well. It's unbelievable. We sent them emails, and I don't know much about modern technology, but emails are supposed to get to places quicker. But there's a block on the emails up there because they never receive anything. Well, I think from our point of view, call trust or whatever, I mean, over the years we've been criticised because we've called Ashley, uh, and we've never believed that he's had Newcastle United at heart. And I think the position is, from the start, we've asked them difficult questions. The very first fans forum, the fans forum was a great idea, we helped set it up with them. But we went, Peter Fannin, uh, <coughs> sitting down there, who got, who got the band, right? Uh, <laughs> went on with all these difficult questions. We'd been through the accounts. We'd had accountants going through the accounts, ready to ask questions. And all they wanted to know, oh, you can't ask that question. Can you not ask a question about how uh, the pitching shit hanging off the back of the stand or there's a pool of water somewhere? They didn't like questions. So they chucked her off the forum straight away and made a reason up. Ah, you, you broke the protocol of the forum. The first one ever. And uh, there's a guy from Low uh, Flags, you can find that tomorrow. It'll be health and safety and whatever. You broke the health and safety policies and what have you. You're out for putting that flag up. I mean, it's, we just want to speak to them. We've actually had more contact with Amanda Stavely and the PCP group than we've had in 10 years with like Ashley. And when I horrible people, I don't, they, don't, they don't put me up because I probably am horrible, but they put Peter Fanning, people like that. Reasonable people would just want the best for Newcastle United. I don't even mind people coming in and making money for themselves, preventing not doing the best for the club. But the problem is, we've got a person who's got no intention of doing anything to benefit Newcastle United. And for me, if you've got a, an, all we want from an owner, I'd love fan ownership. I'd love to see what's replicated in, in, in Germany, the 50 plus one rule. But there's too many snouts in the trough. The people who, who run football will never let that happen because they're the ones who lose out. We're the ones who put my money in. We will be there for years and years and years through the bad and the worst days and we'll continue. No matter what football clubs always turn to the supporters, no matter what, you see it everywhere. Uh, what was the question again? Anything else? What we have done, to be fair, right, over the last year or so, we've chipped away, we've chipped away, Peter Fannin's been having meetings with Lee Marshall, with Lee Charlie, we went back on the forum we did, and uh, we haven't any, asked any awkward questions yet. We tried to ask a question about strawberry players and asset stripping, but that's totally off the, they'll never let ask a question about that, but we, we, we want to have proper dialogue with them and constructive dialogue, but that also involves two-way criticism, and, and if we have got some valid points, let, that will make those valid points and then argue against it. So I think that the, the view is, look, we want the best for Newcastle United. We're not a protest group, we want, to, we want to represent supporters and we want supporters to be engaged with the club and have a say in the way ahead for the club. Because we love the club, it's our life. Um, but unfortunately, I think the club really, the, the guys on the ground, they're happy to speak to the supporters, but the problem is we've said they've got no power whatsoever at all. And therefore, uh, unfortunately, there's been no dialogue. That will not continue. Ashley will never, ever meet with, unless we go to the uh, uh, Sports Direct, AGM, so that's a good idea. Because we've got other things that we're talking about planning, because I think what we'll have to do is, you're not listening to us, so we're going to have to make them listen. We'll have to get into Sports Direct, affect these businesses, but more of that to come.
uh, but, but very in a very peaceful way with all the supporters working together uh, because if he's not going to go and he says he wants to go and he said all these things we may have to help him out uh, and the only way I think you can help him out is if you affect his business interests because I don't think he's bothered about protesting Newcastle United and there's ways to affect this, the, the business interests you've seen what happened in, in Glasgow Rangers and there's a few tricks but I can't tell you what they are at the moment um, but um, I think we'll have no contact from him I'm not expecting any contact from him um, I'm just hoping of hopes that, that the, the takeover is still on because I think from, from my understanding that, that Amanda Steele and the PC people do want engagement and support us and that's what I've asked at this moment in time. You said that for the opinion of the club accounts and I presume they made, made good reading because they don't pay tax on VAT. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys. Wallace, as a Newcastle United fan, do you feel the club have deliberately done business as late as possible to avoid criticism? Many fans seem to be content with the business we've done as it feels better than nobody. Well, yes. Um, there you have it. <laughs> basically, the, you know, as I said before, I think it's, it's, about, it's about managing expectations and they've they've managed to, to suppress the level of expectation among fans, uh, which um, to, to a level where, you know, on the 31st of January, you're thinking, oh, three loan deals, that's not bad, really. Um, when in fact, you know, you're looking at teams that we should be competing against. You know, when, quick history lesson, when we got beat in the cup final in 74, we had won as many trophies as Liverpool. Right, so, you know, that, that's sort of going back sort of 40 odd years. But you look at you know other teams that are in the same ballpark as us in terms of support uh, size of supporter base and so on, then you know there's, there's no reason really why we shouldn't be able to compete. We've got a ground which is big enough. We've got a, a sort of a, a supporter catchment base which is worldwide, but specifically in the north of England, we are the only club currently anywhere near the Premier League. So we should be able to, to, to generate significant amounts of income. And one of, the, one of the other problems that we've got is that the club has completely managed to suppress the level of income which is coming in through commercial activity. I mean, they've sold the, the catering. God knows what they're doing with the shirts and stuff like that. I don't think anybody really knows because, you know, it's all hidden and so on in terms of what goes into the Sports Direct and what goes into the Newcastle United and, and so on. So you've got, a, you've got a, a, the income, which is primarily based on, on the television revenues, which Ashley's had nothing to do with. Um, so all the income that he's had some control over has reduced significantly, certainly in terms of, uh, if you take into account inflation and stuff like that, the job that he's doing is appalling and that's one of the reasons why he's, he's trying to suppress expectation because he doesn't want to pay any money yet um, and so far he's succeeding as I said before I think we've got to we have to try to overcome that we have to, to raise those expectations again and we, we need to, to make people aware of what Newcastle could and should be Just a point that Wallace made about, about the income. The TV deal is, is obviously massive and that brings in the major part of the income. That's not even negotiated by the club. 
The one thing that we've fallen massively behind on is commercial income. We've fallen well behind clubs that we were above 10 years ago. Tottenham's the one that you would maybe do the comparison with, where the, where the commercial income was similar 10 years ago. Now it's been dwarfed in comparison. So, so the club's getting strangled, as Wallace has said. And where we are making the money is, is through the deals that we don't even have anything to do with. Part of that's because we haven't got the experts in the club there to, to increase that commercial income, even if there is a, day, a desire from head office for that to happen, and I'm not sure there is. Okay, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, can we put your hands together, please, for the end of part one. We've been listening to Craig Hall from the Daily Mail, Wallace Wilson from True Faith, Simon Bird from the Mirror, and Colin Wicker from the NUST. We've got the team all sitting, waiting, ready. Um, we've got a handful of questions, so we're going to crack on. Guys, could you introduce yourselves, please? Start at this end. It's on. It's on. Two, two. No, 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 wait. Wait. Uh, my name's Chubbs. I'm from the True Faith podcast, best known for pretty much losing marbles about Mike Ashley um, on audio files, so forgive us if I go off on one at night. Um, and my fans, Ian Whiting. Uh, I'm George Culkin from The Times. Uh, Luke Edwards from The Telegraph. Steve Ray, former vicar of this parish. <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen. Now, the questions in this part are all about the takeover. So, here we go. Steve and George have met Amanda Stavely. Is she the real deal? And what did you make of her? Well, George spent a lot more time with Amanda Stavely than I did, so I'll leave that to you, George. Well, you go first, go on. Um, well publicised, thanks to Mark Douglas's tweets uh, on that particular day when Liverpool came to St James's Park um, but yes I met her I met her husband as well and I found it to be very pleasant and um, obviously the, the takeover really wasn't or the attempt at takeover wasn't really in full swing then so from my perspective it was a, a chance to, to, to speak to the woman who potentially might be trying to take over our football club and I chatted to her like most fans would about the area about the football club, about the support, about the team, about how our our support tends to get up if there's a, a bad decision given, and you know it, it creates that little bit of extra buzz. But I basically gave her a, a running commentary of what life is like as a Newcastle fan and, and the plus points of coming and trying to buy the club because at that moment in time there was there was no real movement. There was there was an assumption that you may well come and try and put a bid in for the club, but there was no real. Um, there was no real you know, effort being made that we could see. So from my perspective, I found it to be very pleasant. She, she has a northern, a northeast connection, if you like, with, with um, owning um, a family owning Lightwater Valley. And I found her husband to be very pleasant as well. You know, wanted to know about the area, wanted to buy into, the, buy into what Newcastle United was about. A lot of questions from them about, you know, what, what would happen if, if a new owner came in? How would the fans react? So there was a lot of, just a lot of questions. It was like, you know, it was a, it was a, weird, a weird scenario. And I, I look at that, and then I look at the meetings that I've had with Mike Ashley. Like, probably a lot of you in the room, when Mike Ashley came to the club, I had, you know, bumped into him at an away game once at, at Wigan, where everybody wanted the photograph taken with him because he was going out in the blue bamboo and buying people pints and stuff like that. I never, never had a pint off Mike. 
I'll come to that in a minute. But the the Wigan the Wigan thing was was just weird, you know. It just you know, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll jump on the bandwagon here. I'll get a photograph with them. You never know when that could be useful. And sure enough, a couple of years later, I did run into Mike Ashley again. We'd obviously been relegated, and we got into the championship. Mike had to dip his hand in his pocket, which he's not very um, accustomed to doing. But he had invested and kept the team together which managed to get us out of the championship at the first time of asking and I was lucky enough because of the company that I run Newcastle Legends and, and doing a lot of ex-player talkings to, to, to get on quite well with a few of the lads at the time still speak to Steve Harper at this day do a bit of work with him but I got to know Kevin Nolan and Joey Barton quite well and they invited me along to the end of season do at the Diamond and Pontilan, which I'm sure most of you know is a, a, a favourite haunt for a lot of the football players certainly like over the years so I got invited to the end of season party they said bring a few of your mates up I went up we got there we got there at the time we were told to get there and there was nobody there thought we'd been you know pranked if you like I walked in I bought all the lads a pint and then two minutes later just as I got that's me, not true just as I got me changed <laughs> just as I got me changed Mike Ashley walks in Mike Ashley walks straight in behind puts his car behind the bar nobody else bought a drink for the rest of the night <laughs> but fast forward to get to the, the, the interesting bit um, Derek Lambias was obviously there working alongside Mike Ashley at the time. I, I waited because obviously I'd been quite vociferous against Mike Ashley and, and on you know various interviews and stuff and stuff that I'd written. And I thought, look, I'm going to go over and, and, and try and have a chat with him. So I went up, shook his hand, and said, Mike, Steve Wraith, um, you know, right, one of the football fanzines, just want to say, you know, congratulations on promotion. And I'm just interested to know what your plans are for the future. You know, what, what's your plans with, with our football club? Are you going to invest? Are you going to go and buy some players? And at, the, at that time, the buffet had just opened. <laughs> so Mike's standing there with a big plate of curry and rice, okay? And he's also got sausage rolls, uh, volivants, cheese and pickles. The buffet was on all night and it was being refilled, but for some reason, Mike had all of this like food piled up at the bar. And he was dipping into the curry and everything. Anyway, then in comes Derek Lambias and stands. And I, I'm, I've asked Mike a question. He goes, well, to be honest, Steve, he says, I, I just I run it like I run my shops and, and run Sports Direct. He says, I come in at the start of the season. He says, I'll have a look. I'll see where, where we're at, which division we're in. He says, and I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at the personnel. I'll see what we're paying out. I'll look at the balance sheet, and then, and then I'll make a few decisions. He says, if we need, if we need to improve, um, he says, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of money at it. He said, that's it. He says, then I'll come back at the end of the season. I'll see where we're at at the end of the season, which division we're in, where we're at. And he says, if, if we've not done well, he said, then, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to put some more money in it. I thought, is this for real? Is, it, is, this, what, is this how you run a football club? It's not. You know, this is how a football club, you, you know, you're not, he's, he, he didn't even seem to know the name of players. Anyway, Derek Lambayas realised he, he was digging himself a big hole and I was probably going to ask a few more questions. He goes, look, Steve, I don't think this is the time. I think you should, you know, just, just move on, you know. And at that point, Mike had been eating his curry, as had Derek during the conversation. And Derek had spat a bit of gristle out of, his, out of his mouth and put it onto this plate that Mike had also put on the bar. So anyway, as, as I'm making, now I'm going to make my excuses and walk away, Mike actually picks the wrong plate up, shovels some more curry sauce onto the gristle that Derek spat out and feeds it into his mouth. Fantastic, like, uh, yeah, exactly. So this is what you're dealing with, but the question was obviously about the man of And we're out of time. Thank you very much. <laughs> George, on to you. I think I've managed to get away from any embarrassing questions about being a <laughs> uh, I missed a very brief update for the Liverpool game. I found out she was uh, she was 
come into the game and I did a journalistic thing of hanging around in a place where I thought she might be and she was and I met her, uh, that was very, very brief, but after that uh, kept in touch with people around her and then uh, obviously when the takeover stuff started happening, I had to do more of that and then really um, uh, it was the, the week when um, a spokesman, no what was it, a source, a Sky Sports, uh, a Newcastle source like Ashley, rang up Sky Sports and um, said it had all been a massive waste of time and stuff like that. I happened to be in London that week and there was a chance I was going to have a cup of tea with her and I then did have a cup of tea with her and then through that night um, that became an interview. Um, is uh, what was the question? Is she? Is she? The, what's she like? Is she? What do you make of the job? What do I make of She was very credible. She was very nice. She was very pleasant. Um, uh, I've spent more time in her company than I have in Mike Ashley's company over the last eleven years. That wouldn't be very difficult, as we I think we said last time that uh, with with uh, with Simon. The only way of being able to get in front of Mike Ashley is by buying shares in Sports Direct and going down to an AGM and asking questions. And um, you know that was a horrible experience. She wants to. She wanted to engage. She was very upset about the suggestion that she was wasting time. And um, she had a she had a big house, a big office near Hyde Park. The only reason I'm saying that is that she's had her kind of credibility questioned. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about some of this stuff, but you know, at the end of all that, do I know that she's genuine? No, I, I can't possibly answer that question because the way she does, so for all Mike Ashley's faults, and fuck me, there are a lot of faults, <laughs> he, he, he owns a company, so we can check what his company is worth, we can check what he's worth, we can see how many employees he has, there is a track record that we can that we can check, and that doesn't exist with Amanda Staple in PCP, uh, because it's not a company that's based in this country, and it doesn't have employees. So it's a it's a it's a it's an unusual situation. There are the things that we know is that she has categorically made three bids for Newcastle, and maybe <coughs> something we'll talk about. I don't know. She has categorically uh, taken on Freshfields and and Chris Mort as her lawyer to engage with Mike Ashley. Uh, Chris Moore, of course, was Mike Ashley's first chairman. Uh, and that was done as a, as a show of good faith. And um, she has engaged people from the NUST up here to other fans and other fans groups. And she has made an attempt to start a conversation about what the club might look like under her ownership. Maybe Maybe we can come on and talk about some of the, some of the, some of the details of that. Mm -hmm. But she came across very well. Um, she, 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 and I mean, the thing that I liked about her is that she wants to own Newcastle. And at the moment, Newcastle have an owner, have an owner who, who doesn't want to be here. And that is, and, and that is, that is obvious in, in, in everything that the club does, the way the club behaves, the number of people the club employ. It's a shell. Um, you know the transfer. You know, talk about the transfer. I won't get sidetracked by that. But they did the bare minimum. They've got. It's a club that does the bare minimum. And you know, she 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 wants it to be a thriving business in the community. A business, yes, but a business that is 
that is engaged in the city and, and, and is a thriving business. So she talks a good game. That isn't the proof. And you know, the proof comes if and when she buys a football club and if and when she buys a new customer. Okay, thank you. Uh, the second question I've got here in front of me is on social media. Luke has hinted that he's frustrated at the Stavely camp for not putting up the money. Why does Luke believe prospective buyers should bow down to the to the greed of Mike Ashley? Right, I realise this is quite a tough gig. Um, <laughs> a bit like being a defence lawyer for a for a serial killer. Um, <laughs> however, so however, I'm going to give it a go. Look, um, Amanda Stavey does a lot of talking. Um, I think my view of her has perhaps been shaped. Uh, well, it's always shaped by the people you talk to. But I remember someone ringing me very soon after she was pictured at the Liverpool game back in October. Um, and said that basically her name in Liverpool is Walter Mitty. Uh, that Liverpool, if you talk to anyone at Anfield, is in the corridors of power there. They don't take her seriously. Uh, they think to put new too fine a point in it, she's a bullshitter. Now, maybe it's shaped a little bit by that, but um, my view of takeovers is, you, you know, takeovers that happen don't happen in public. Uh, they don't get, there aren't leaks, there isn't a running commentary of what's happening and what isn't happening. There's been a running commentary from the start with Amanda Stavely. It's all very similar to what she did at Liverpool. Uh, uh, if you remember, she supposedly tried to buy Liverpool twice and failed. Um, it gets to a point where she's trying to buy another football club and is failing. Um, look, I want Mike Ashley gone as much as the next man, woman, child. He's a parasite. He's um, George and I don't like using this phrase, but mentally he has been, he is like a cancer, really, on Newcastle. I want him gone. I'm just cynical. It's my job as a journalist sometimes to, to question two qualities. I probably have his cynicism and being a bit of a prick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my whole history, she, she's, done a, she's done a hell of a lot of talking about wanting to buy a football club. And as, some, as this person said to me in Liverpool, it'd be nice if Amanda Stavely actually didn't just talk about wanting to buy a football club. She actually bought one. Um, and this is no... This is no slight on George because, as we discussed at the time, as journalists, it's our, it's our job to tell stories, and George told a fantastic one from Amanda Stavely. It was the interview that every single one of us in the North East would have loved to have, but have you ever known a takeover happen when one of the interested parties gives a sit-down interview with a national newspaper halfway through it? No, you haven't. Well, ex except I, I will... I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope you'll get a, sort of a... You might not be any wiser, I'm sure you probably won't be any wiser after listening to us, but you might get an insight into how, how difficult it actually is to report on what is happening or not, not happening, because people on both sides of the, uh, of the takeover, as it were, say completely opposite things. So um, I think her, her argument was that she was responding very strongly to, a to, statement. to, to, to the source. Okay, so to play devil's advocate, again, defence lawyer. Mike Ashley was responding to a series of leaks that had come out, and I'm afraid they weren't coming from the Mike Ashley side of things, they were coming from the Amanda Savey side of things. So he felt he was responding to a PR campaign, which was, and this is, this is where I get a little bit angry, we are all desperate for Mike Ashley to go. We are absolutely all desperate to go. My suspicion of Amanda Savey, and, and I really hope I'm wrong, is that she's playing on that desperation. Correct that she wants, she wants to mobilise us, us all against Mike Ashley so she can get a bargain and get a football club cheaply. We don't know how much money she's got. 
George did excellent work in getting the breakdown of the bids, but all three of those bids she made, I'm afraid she knew they were going to be rejected. Uh, there's been, you know, do you remember the Curry House meeting? Well, if I can tell you about the Curry House meeting, that wasn't a Curry House meeting that was just the setup. If you speak to people who knew what happened, it was an ambush. There was a professional photographer waiting outside to take a picture of Amanda Stavely and Mike Ashley coming out of the Curry House. Why? Why do you do that? I, I don't know of takeovers that happen in that way. There's two sides of every story uh, yes. as well, Luke, and I think the one, the one thing you've got to remember, and you know, everybody knows, I think it's become more and more apparent, that the winners in this are going to be PR gurus, people who get paid for PR, on PCP's side, and on Mike Ashley's side, and there's also going to be lawyers making a lot of money out of this. And it's an ongoing thing, and lawyers make more money, lawyers make money by the hour. So essentially, it's it's a game. It's a game of cat and mouse between two te- uh, two sides. And I think the one thing everybody in this room knows is Mike Ashley is a liar. And yeah. Yeah. Mike Ashley is a liar, and he's lied and lied and lied for ten years to us about everything. And I can't trust a word the man says. So for me, like uh, our good friend there from the trust has just said, you know, <laughs> he said he wants to go, and if a man needs our help to get him out. Let's do it. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's fine. That, that, that's, that's very, you know, good words. But you, you've got to look at the, also look at the reality of the situation. Mike Ashley is his businessman. Amanda Stavely has tried to hustle and bully him. It's proved impossible. If she was serious about buying that with this football club, she would know that's not the way to deal with Mike Ashley. She's known the price since October. What is, is the, the price? Who's, who's, who's like, valuing the club at that? Yeah, who says that's, the price I'm, is I'm, right? I'm not saying the price is right, saying no, she's saying the price is right. Problem. She's saying the price is right. She's so I knew this was a tough gig, but you have to understand, you can sit there and want Amanda Stavely to be genuine. I want Amanda Stavely to be genuine. She hasn't made an acceptable bid to buy I the football club. Price to be genuine. But what I is the price? Here. Nobody knows well, what the price she, is. She hasn't met it. Nobody's met Nobody. No, she hasn't you, met you, it because my actually hasn't said what the price is. We all wrote a story before Christmas, if you remember. Everyone in the press said she'd bid £300 million and the deal was going to be close. You all remember reading that, weren't you? Mm-hmm. It was a lie. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. We were lied to as journalists by, I'm afraid, people connected to Amanda Stavely, not Mike Ashley. So a story, Mike, that was, a story that was stood up by the club as well. Well, there was a bid, but not 300 million. It was well, never. It was never 300 million. If she'd have bid 300 million up front, the club would be hers now. Something happened. That's what I'm told. Something, something, never happened. something happened in mid-December. Never happened. Never happened. Something happened in mid-December. I don't know what that. I don't know what that was. I haven't got to the bottom of that. And it does, it makes us look stupid. It makes yeah, it us makes us all look stupid because we were lied to by um, people to do with her. Well, that, I'll say that again. That story was stood up by the club. Not so, 300 million. No, but she, she by that point, she'd, she'd, she'd submitted two bids. One was worth 350. We all wrote 300, 300 million, the deal is close. It wasn't true. Yeah. And that well, all came from her I've, side. I've seen an email from someone... Uh, um, from someone on, 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 her, on her side that uh, very senior is about saying a deal is done or I think we can do a deal and that was actually a deal at two, at the, the deal at 250 I don't know where the 300 thing came from everyone leapt on it at the same time and that was bad information and we on that exact on that occasion we let you down and I, and I certainly apologise for Nothing to apologise for. Everyone wrote it. It was just you know yeah, you no, can only I, go I, on who you talk to. Yeah, now, but I don't look, if I Amanda Stavely, my point is, and I've, I've put this concisely, if Amanda Stavely wanted to buy that football club, she could have bought that football club. If she had the money she says she has, she could have bought that football club. She hasn't done it. She hasn't done it. It's the echoes of the Liverpool thing. It's exactly the same. There's been a lot of talk. A lot. A lot of noise. I'm not bringing Mike up. I can't stand the bloke. No, bring your mic up. <laughs> 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 
it's a technical one. My whole view is, if she if she was she's made a lot of noise. She sings genuine. She's done everything right in terms of meeting it. You know, she, she met she met the spirit of Shanky people at Liverpool. She did exactly the same thing. She never managed to buy Liverpool. At some point, you're going to have to give Mike Ashley what he wants for the football. It's a basic rule of business. You're not going to hustle him by doing a PR campaign it's a, it's a basic rule. to get rid of him. It's not going to work. It's a fundamental rule of business. Mike Ashley's not going to sell at a loss to himself. Well, 250 million is a loss to himself. I, I found it interesting tonight. I mean, is it Chris Watt who wrote the piece tonight, Mark, um, in the Chronicle about from Dr. Tom Markham? Now, he's commenting. Now, from my research, Dr. Tom Markham is actually uh, on the payroll of Mike Ashley with Mash Holdings. Now, you might want to check this out, but I thought he was supposed to be impartial, but he's, he's actually quoted tonight saying that there's six potential bidders and that there's, um, that there's, that there's somebody still doing due diligence. That was in the article tonight. But it's not you who wrote it, it's Chris Watt. But I'm just, I'm pointing something out here. I'm pointing something out here. I'm trying to level the playing field. You know, we've got a serial killer defendant yet. What I'm trying to, <laughs> what I'm, what I'm trying to say I'm is shitting me, sir. if Tom Martin, if Tom Martin is actually on my rule allegedly, if he's doing a bit of graft for them and, and pushing that stuff out, then this is what I'm trying to say. It's a level. He's not yet a defendant, but it's a level. It's a level playing field. There's a PR team here. A PR team here. Everyone's having a go, and they might have leaked this. They might have leaked that. But at the end of the day, as George quite rightly put out there, three bids. She is interested. If, if Mike had said, yes, I'll accept that, we would have had a deal done. We're now into February, transfer windows closed, HMRC, um, obviously still to be decided, transfer window closed, so we know where we're at with that. TV deal to come in in the middle of February, we might know where we are by the end of February. The sad thing is, it shows you how powerless we all are in a way. I mean, I wrote this ages ago, that yeah. we're basically prisoners to two massive business egos trying to bully each other, trying to hustle each other yeah. around the negotiating table. My frustration is if Amanda Stavely had bought that club before this January transfer window, as she said she wanted to do, and that's when the bids went in, we wouldn't have been having this discussion about free loan signings coming in, supposedly. We'd be having discussions about the squad being improved, about Rafa Benitez being happier, about the club having a better chance of staying in the Premier League. For whatever reason around this power struggle, this ego, and I call it a battle of egos because... She is, she is ego-driven as well. It's not just Mike. Mike. Look, I can't say this enough. Mike actually is a prick. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything other than that. But I just want, I just want someone to come and buy this football club and be genuine about wanting to do it. And just do it. Just do the deal and tell him to fuck off. That is a point. You have to say something eventually. That is a question that I asked of her. So, is is, and it's a question that, that gets asked a lot. It's look, if you really want this club, surely you just you just do it. You just you put the money down and you and you and you and you get on with it and you get them out and start again. So, the way that she answered that is that firstly that they they have done. 20 odd years worth of research on the books. And this is the value. So, say the last bid, the last bid was £250 million, all in one go, cash. Benitez stays. I made a mistake in the thing that I put in the paper. There is an H HMRC clause. Um, there's no relegation clause. It's £250 million on the nose. 
Her opinion is that the club could be worth 350 million or 300 million, but it's going to take 100 million pounds worth of improvements to get there because for the last 11 years the club has just been left in limbo. So I won't, I won't go back into that kind of rant, but there has been no improvement of facilities in Newcastle over the last decade. And so that takes money. The other point is that it is an investment. So it's a long-term investment, she says, but it's an investment that at some point has a return. That's the idea. So if you put an extra 50 million quid in that you don't think it's worth, it's going to take you longer to get your investment back. And again, the other thing, she's put more of her, she says, be careful what I say, again, she says, she claims, she's putting in more of her money into this bid than would normally happen in the kind of deals that she says she does, because it's high risk, football's high risk, there's no guarantee you make your money back. And because of the size of the bid, because it's relatively small compared, again, to the size of the deal she says she normally does, she hasn't got the same level of investor interest than she would if it was something worth 800 million, for example. So it's a different, it's a different, it's a different kind of deal. And again, it's this thing that was mentioned at the start, Ashley and, and the people that run the club for him, they can't have it both ways. They can't say 300 million and that's it. That's the valuation. A valuation is a movable feast. You can say your house is worth, hang on a sec, you can say your house is worth 300,000 pounds, 300,000 pounds, but you then find that the roof's fucked or whatever. And the other thing, but he can't have it both ways. He can't say it's 300, take it or leave it, and nothing. And then put in 13 million fucking quid for Nikolai Jorgensen when Benitez goes in and tells them that it costs 20 million. It costs okay. 20 million. I, I agree with you totally. I agree with you totally on that one. But, yeah, but there's one thing the, 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 just finally, sorry, I just say this. Amanda Slater she's going to put 200 million in to the football club. That's why she can't pay the asking price now. Why not use some of that 200 million that you're going to invest ahead of a new television deal when there's going to be more money coming in and use 50 million of that to pay the asking price and then you still have 150 million pounds for investment but then you have more television money coming in. Just delay that improvement by six months a year and pay the asking price. Look, Mike Ashley, again, I'll say it again, he's a prick, right? He, he does want it both ways. He does do that stupid thing in the transfer market where Amanda Stavey's trying to play him at his own game, effectively, but it hasn't worked. And that's my frustration. That is my frustration. It hasn't worked. Her plan, her method of attack, her means of trying to get the football club has failed. And we all, and I use media and supporters, are now effectively left in limbo and stuck with Mike Ashley after four months of a lot of talk of wanting to buy Newcastle United. I just wonder how you can call her a time waster when he's on holiday. I'm not used to the word time waster. Well, you've alluded to her being called Walter Mitty by Liverpool Football Club. When he's gone on holiday in the middle of these negotiations to sell the club, there's nothing else to do with it. Yes, but the talks are over by that point. There haven't been any talks since end of November. There's been there's been no contact. There's been no negotiations. There are no, been no contact since mid December. Yeah, she, she, she has large bids. So yes, yeah, she, she has she has large bids, but bids that weren't accepted, and they were never going to be acceptable. And she knew. Is evaluation on in, should that not be an independent thing? Should that be brought by an independent yeah. body? It's a privately owned business. It's like you know, again, you use the house analogy. You can say, well, I put the house up on the sale for three hundred thousand. Well, Nobody's bid it. You'll take it off the market. It's barely a Premier League club at the minute. It's like clinging on by a thread. You know, yes. It does need that investment. I, I think we're throwing words around quite easily here. We're asking a serious businesswoman to throw around another £100 million of her money. 
and saying, oh, if you want the club, just buy it. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Well, then she's not going to get the football club. Should be saying then she's not going to get the football club. So this is all the whole thing has been meaningless. That's my point. That's my point. Unless she does it, she's not going to get the football club. So it's been four months of a lot of chat. So on that. Guys, I'm going to say I'm going to come to the floor for questions at the end of, of these questions, so just hold your breath. Um, why do you think Amanda Stavely and PCP want to buy Newcastle United? And what is different about this bid and our bid to buy Liverpool? It's a lot cheaper and it's got, it's got a lot of potential. And I think she sees that. She's a northern lass, so I know she's not from the, the streets of Baker and of Benwell. But, you know, a family, you know, of course you know, northern roots, she wants to come back here, that was the feeling that I got, you know, from her, um, and, I, and I just think it's a breath of fresh air, but let's face it, anybody who came in, you know, anybody with any business now who came to St James's Park and, and put a little bit of time and effort in and, and had a bit of passion about it and listened and worked with supporters, like the supporters trust and listened to people and worked with people like War Flags and, and you know, honestly, it, it, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. Everybody in this room knows, you know, we're not, we're not expecting to be Champions League winners overnight. You know, we just want a team that wins and competes and, you know, makes us proud. You know what I mean? And we go to the match and it's an enjoyable experience because for the last 10 years it's just been, it's just been awful, you know. And, sorry, so I, think, I think we'd all much rather be having a chat in five years' time about how awful Amanda Stavely's been than having another chat in five years' time exactly. about how shit my chat has been. So, yes, uh, to, to echo that, I mean, I think obviously they've done their research. They see Newcastle as the only Premier League club from, you know, this, in this half of the country all the way down to Burnley. So there's a big catchment area. There is huge potential in terms of uh, producing their own players if they fucking got their act together and started doing that. Um, there is uh, there's this idea that it comes with investment into the city, and there's uh, that there's potential there. And I mean, it's it's a business. I mean, it's it's seen as a business opportunity, and so you you make you make the cl club grow, you make it more valuable. Uh, it's a long term business opportunity. Um, but the way you do that, I mean, so so Mike Ashley has got got the club to a position where it's not hemorrhaging money anymore. But at the same time, it's not doing anything to generate its own money. So everything's been outsourced. The staff has been cut back to the absolute quick. I probably said this. I probably said this at the last one of these that when Newcastle went down last time, they didn't have to sack people because there was no one left to sack. There was no one left to sack. There was no flesh left on the bone. So that's that's fine, except that it should be generating its own money. I mean, commercially, it's bringing in less money now than it was a, a decade ago. So. There's huge potential there to improve. And then the other part, so that, that's the kind of business side of it, but there's also the opportunity to be, to be a good citizen. And this is something that she's, that she's talked about when we were chatting. That, you know, if, for example, the, the, the council are having a, having a campaign about anti-obesity, why aren't the club involved in that? I mean, why aren't the club helping to promote that? And that to me seems like, or the food bank, I mean, they've done very well in the food bank, so we have to, have to give them very credit yeah. for that, they've helped, and they've brought into that. But why isn't that, stuff, why isn't that kind of stuff happening every day? Why aren't, why aren't, they, why aren't they a part of theatre and music? Why aren't they pr promoting all those things, getting foundation? Anyway, so it's seen, it's seen that the club should be a vehicle to making the city better, and make, by making the city better, there will be investment and there will be building work and stuff like that and I think it's seen as a kind of holistic, a holistic approach.
There's potential, and of course we've been talking about potential, but God knows how many Sure, and do we think Mike actually really wants to sell the club? Does he want to sell? Uh, no, I don't think he does. I think he just likes making money in general. At the minute, uh, it's making quite a bit of profit. I think the only year he hasn't made profit is when we're relegated. So I'm surprised to see there wasn't more, a little bit more investment in this transfer window to protect his asset. Mm -hmm. Seems to be the only thing that speaks to him. And then, obviously, the lads have got a lot more knowledge on the takeover than I have. The reason I was put here was to kind of um, suggest what would happen if he didn't sell the club. Um, obviously, we've had the flags out, which have been great. But really, other than that, the only thing that speaks to him actually is money. Um, and all we can do is vote with our feet and, and not attend the match. I think that's going to be a very unpopular motion, given that this room is full of diehard fans who are willing to come and spend their Thursday night talking about it. Um, all we can do is try and hit him in his pocket and, and not turn up the matches. I mean, um, the Man City game, for example, it was 60-odd quid, 64, 65 quid for a Patagonia ticket, if you're not a season ticket holder. And that was effective, effectively to see a championship team camp in their own box and try and not let a cricket school happen. Um, for me, that's not value for money. The rest of my Ashley's business seem to be about value for money. For me, for me, I just want to reiterate what Colin had said before, and it's you know Rangers is almost like a blueprint. You know, we um, you know I think there'll be meetings held in, in due course, but I think you know targeting Sports Direct is the way forward. You know, it's the one thing he cares about, Absolutely. and he doesn't care about Newcastle United, not bad about anything else. But sports, sports direct his baby, and that's the one thing that he cares about. And you know, sensibly, you know, without any, uh, without any malice, you know, we're not talking about, you know, anything criminal. But I just think it, it, a serious amount of thought needs to go into the sports direct route, and that's something that can be discussed. I'm sure. Yeah. Forward, I mean, we do a lot of talking, but realistically, he's holding up a shop on Northumberland Street. That's a disgrace for, for like a fan base that's supposed to be so loyal and so outspoken. We're all in there. Like yeah. I bought which from there. What like what we're fucking playing at? Like we'll <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, if the flags get banned, you might as well all stand up and say sports direct for three hours on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that'll show up changes his mind. He's already got the most iconic part of the city, which is the stadium. Do you know what I mean? And we can't let him like have another piece of all of all well, like, kind of territory, which is and, and the other thing the other thing is that he's I mean, I'm not saying he thinks this consciously, but he's pretty much proved that he can he can do absolutely whatever he wants and people will still come to the games. And that's both very moving that, you know, it's your club, you should go to games, and it's your heritage, it's not his heritage, it's your history, it's your family, all those things. It's also, in some ways, it's kind of quite sad because he he has that, he has that hold. And although I think there's been a lot of very worthy ideas about boycotts and, and, and not going to matches, you shouldn't have to give that up. I mean, because that is that is you, and that's who you are. I know there's a lot of people. I'm I'm, I'm 47, and there's a lot of people in my generation, mates of mine, who've um, who've uh, who've stopped going, and that's you know that happens in life, and people get families and move and all that. But I know a lot of people who've gone through that and found it very painful, but they've been replaced by other people. So. You know, I think this idea that people will stop going to games just doesn't exist. And they shouldn't happen. They shouldn't happen at some point. We hold the world record for the highest attendance outside of a top flight of football, and I don't know whether that's a badge of honour or it makes us look like absolute mugs under this chairman for the past ten years. What I'd, yeah. Sorry, what I'd say about the boycott is the one time I know or we know in the media that he's been genuinely stung into action was the Spurs boycott, uh, and you'll remember they were the fourth net highest spenders in Europe the following season. Uh, I think it was the season they went down, unfortunately. It probably didn't do wonders for high cashies and approach the thing. But, however, I will say with the boycott, I think the thing is that with, with a boycott, I, I agree with you, but I have this kind of sinking feeling of now is not the time with the team in the position it's in. 
and I don't think it would be what Rafa wants at the moment. This is the, this is always the dilemma we have. This is always the dilemma we have. Is that Rafa wouldn't want that at the moment. I think this is something that maybe, maybe does need to happen, but I think it almost needs to be part until the end of this season because the most important thing now to keep hold of Rafa, if Newcastle go down, Rafa's gone. If they stay up, there's a chance he stays. And I think we all, we all, and we are, we, we're all behind Rafa in the media and I know the supporters are, but I do think we do to do one of George's favourite Newcastle dots United. We have to stay. We have to stay that, and we have to keep behind the team now because they really do need us more than ever at the moment. And so, and, and, and Rafa wouldn't want a boycott at the minute. But further down the line, maybe yes. Very very quick to answer that question about whether Mike Ashley actually wants to sell. Amanda Stapley asked me that question when I was interviewing it, and I think in some ways that says it all. This is allegedly the third time that he's tried to sell it, and. He's not doing a very good job of selling it, is he? She asked that herself. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's no evidence. There's no evidence that he's desperate to sell, is there? I think because I he's, think, he's tried. He's tried to do it a few times. Remember, I mean, I, I've gone on about this on social media, but the copy of United magazine, which we all got for about three issues when Mike Ashley took over, that interview where he gave about an eight-page interview. The key line in there is. I've bought Newcastle United to promote my sports brand globally. That's what he says in that interview. And that's all Mike Ashley bought Newcastle United for, to promote Sports Direct globally. Once he's done that, you know, he's, he's achieved his goal. All these protests have to be thought out in, in a sense because what happens? He changes the name of the ground. What, what, what's, on, what's on Sky Sports? Mike Ashley, owner of Sports Direct, is in loggerheads with the fans. It's just Sports Direct, Sports Direct. The longer it's in the news, it's free advertising. We're, we're promoting his business by protesting. The Coffin March, right, which was done with the right intentions by Mike Ashley Out's campaign, right, was all about Sports Direct at the end of it, all the publicity. There was two of those. I, I took part the first one. The second one was done, you know, I know it embarrassed a lot of fans and apologies for, for that, but it was done with the right intentions. And the Sports Direct thing, just, it's, it's all, it's because Mike Ashley just, he's very clever in that sense. He knows how to market his business because he causes chaos at our football club and he knows we'll all react. So the only thing you can do is, hey, get some publicity if we're, if we're affecting his business, though. That's, that's the difference. If it we shouldn't be affecting our enjoyment of going to support our team, it's going to be, it's our team and it always will be. And our Sorry, we're we'll we'll tossing around a bit here, but if he's tried and failed to select three times, then maybe that shows he's asking for too much money. Maybe. Yeah. Right, guys, are there any other interested parties in buying our club? Somebody said there was six uh, six people not, interested. I mean, is that true? Is that six bits on the there's table? There's been interest in that people might have made a phone call and had a look at it, and there's been conversations, but it's never gone to the PCP level of... Sorry, no, so there are there are other interested parties. It was said to me, as soon as Stavely came in, there was an idea that everyone else held back. I don't think that was actually right. There were still people talking, but nobody's gone further down the line. I'm told now there's absolutely no chance of anything happening until the summer again if Newcastle stay up keep Rafa there's another chance to take over might happen in the summer if they go down no chance for takeover no chance of keeping hold of Rafa no there's no I, I, I'm not I'm really not aware of anything that's substantive at all in the background apart from PCP uh, their, their their, the last communication with the Ashley camp was, was whatever it was mid-December mid I think it was 14th December 5th something like that and that was them saying that they'd had a Mysterious bidder who was prepared to pay. Called Derek. Who was prepared to pay. <laughs> who was prepared to pay a billion pounds. A billion dollars. Uh, who was prepared to pay 300 or 350, I can't remember. Um, and, but 
if that doesn't materialise, can we come back to you? Um, yes, please come back to us. And they've heard nothing, but it's that's it's. It's not going to happen to the summer. Everyone's waiting to see whether they go down or not. So. Right. Any questions of the floor? <coughs> Gentlemen over here. What is your question? On the rich list, Man City, Man United. Hang on one second. Oh. <coughs> Top six. Uh, rich list, Man United, Man City, can Newcastle ever be in the rich list? Uh, not without a new owner. <laughs> no. Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're a million miles away from that at the minute, aren't they? And they've, they were there. They were there 20 years ago. They were there, you know, they were, they were, they were regulars there in terms of the, the wealth. I mean, the, the, I think it was Colin that made the made the analogy with with Tottenham, was it? Um, and that's a you know that's a great one. Um, but you know you, you look at the you look at the expense that teams are, are spending on their squads now. And um, to give some little insight, I think that I think that I think the idea was if if PCG have got it, they got the club before the transfer window. The idea was that they were putting 30 million in January for new players, and then uh, 70 in the summer, which that's that's not bad. That's obviously thirty million more than they spent uh, spent spent in January. But it's not it's not going to make Newcastle Man City in the short term. But it's about gradually building it up, and then hopefully there's more and more money. I mean, to get into the top six is takes colossal investment, and each year that goes past, Newcastle are getting further and further away. So. You know, I think there is a degree of urgency. They need, you know, they need. You know, you know, you look at, you look at the teams at the bottom of the table and what they've spent in January. I think I find that quite frightening. Doesn't mean that they're good signings, of course. So that's another part of it. But um, Newcastle did the bare minimum, and in my opinion, and um, what's the point I'm trying to say? God knows. Big thing, big thing about your interview, George, was the, the, the academy and the fact that PC are yeah. looking at investment in the academy because it's shocking. Our academy yeah, is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know to get it to get an academy which reduces jolly players coming through. We've got some fantastic local football clubs. The Northern League, you know, it's it, every time we go to the FA Vars, you know, it's a Northern League team winning it, and there's, there's so much wealth that we're doing tap into, and that's down to the owner again. It's down to the lack of interest in local and, football. And the, and, and, you know, the training ground. The training ground is is embarrassing. I don't know how many people have been there, but I mean, it's embarrassing compared to to Brighton's, for example. I've been around Brighton, and they they've they spent shitloads on the training ground. I can't remember twenty million or whatever it was, and they've got they've got they've got countless pitches. They've got wonderful facilities. If you get shown around there in their stadium, yeah, of course you want to sign for them. Now, you know, Newcastle are kind of Newcastle are relying on two things. They're relying on fifty-two thousand people, which is a great draw, obviously, but they're also relying on on Rafa. But it's not, it's you know, it's not fair. They, they they have to be able to kind of show off a modern pool and modern facilities and all that kind of stuff, and they are. Yes, they're light years behind. Yeah. Light years. Behind. Sunderland have got a better training ground. Sunderland have got a much better. Sunderland got a brilliant training ground. Middlesbrough have got an absolutely fantastic. Middlesbrough have got an absolutely fantastic training ground. Yeah. Well, a really good training ground. A purpose-built training ground. Yeah, I mean it's in T-top. Right. Thanks, guys. Moving on, we've got another question off the floor here. Uh, probably into George, really, with your uh, interview with Amanda. Um, sort of two questions. 
One, do you think Rafa knows what Amanda's about in terms of, do you think he's hanging about because he thinks Amanda's going to come through and he can build the dream that he wants to build? Because I think Rafa's got a plan for Newcastle. Secondly, going to the bid between 250 and 300 million quid, as far as I've read from Amanda, the reason why the Arabs like it is because it's got that Yorkshire lass, don't pay too much for what you need to do. So do you think, from your interview, Amanda's playing a bit tight because she just wants to play the value as opposed to paying the fat man what he thinks he wants? And do you think that's a game of poker that's going on? So, I'll try. I'll be trying to be very, very brief. We've talked about the public nature of this. How this has happened. So, what I think happened there, or what I'm told is what happened there, is that this was part of people who were close to her trying to persuade her to buy Newcastle. So she very publicly came to that Liverpool game, and she saw it, and she she was blown away by it, and that was what persuaded her that Newcastle was the club she wanted to try and buy. So that first part of it has been public. Now, normally, normally you would say. This is, goes against all the rules, as, as Luke says. You don't find out who serious bidders are in clubs until they actually do it. That's always been a lesson, and that's been the lesson of people who were who were with with her uh, in the past, who've been involved with with other attempts to buy the club. Um, no, I mean, I, I, is she is she being tight? I mean, I, I think she she has her own valuation of the of the club. I think the, the way it was put to me by someone close to her was that. This kind of stuff happens in business all the time. It happens in boardrooms all the time. People walk off the table, tell, tell the other party to fuck off. I'm not doing business with you. But then they come back and then they talk again and there's a process. So what we're seeing is just this being played out in public. And I kind of think that's, that's unfortunate, but it's how it started and it's, how it's, and how it's carrying on. And I mean, I don't know whether this is a, this is a question, but it's important to say, to, to say it. They haven't gone away. And she'll come back. Yes. Really? Yes. She. Oh, she. I mean, she. I mean, I've. I've kept in contact with her since. Since I've seen her, and she is committed. She's committed to buying a football club, and this is the football club that she wants to buy. So, the 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 announcement of the next broadcast deal is crucial because theoretically the value of the club will go up if it's a Premier League club. I think that's crucial. I think there's a, that that will be within a couple of weeks. I think. So, my. This is now my. Guess my guesstimate. I think there's a window there for a bid, but we're then getting very close to the end of the season. And if you know, she 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 has said if the club go down, then the the value of it is half immediately. Do you so, think, do you think Rafa's hanging about because he knows more that's going on than we do? Rafa's Rafa's not a stupid man. He's a very he's a very clever man, and I'm sure he he does have a sense. Of, my, my, my huge fear, I mean, and, and he, is, he is absolutely crucial to the stable bid. I mean, he is part of it. And a clause, in, a clause in each of the bids has been that they get him to sign another contract. So he is seen as absolutely pivotal, and she was quoted on the record saying that. My, my real, Rafa's is under contract for another season, so, and there is the penalty clause, blah, 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 whatever happens in the summer to that, I don't know. But my, my real fear with Rafa is that he is day day by day that goes past. He's being diminished. He's being diminished as a manager, and he's being diminished as a fella. And I find that really sad because he came to Newcastle because of those very old-fashioned things like potential history, stature, size. Wow, fifty-two thousand people. This could be something very special, and this could be a big club. 
and they behaved at every turn like a small club. And that that is my fear that that's not that's you know they're not delivering what we saw. And so so to answer that question, um, if there's a takeover, there's a very good chance he stays. If there's not, then I would fear I would fear for fear for what happens. I don't think we've heard the last of Amanda Stavely. Do I think a bit of takeover will happen with her? No, sorry, just my personal feelings. More questions? Last question of this set? Oh, oh, a couple of eager hands down here. I know this is harsh, but one word answer. Who will be the owner in August? Ashley or Stavely? I didn't believe Amanda Stavely would buy Newcastle United. Oh, God. Ashley, Ashley, I'm afraid. Sorry. I'm firmly of the belief that nothing good ever happens. <laughs> Is that your... Yeah, my Ashley is well, unfortunately. I hope, I hope so, I hope so. I got really excited when I, I really, I got really excited when I thought Daniel Sturridge was going to sign. I got, I got, I was, I was happy for about three minutes. Like, what is this? I'm feeling it's like, Mark, oh, that would be really optimism. What is that? You can never, you can never second guess Mike Ashley. That's no. that's the problem with Mike Ashley. Believe it when you see it. Exactly. Well, I think that's, the, I think that's the message, isn't it? Really, that we all take away. That I think we've all, we've all been on this roller coaster ride of this takeover. None of us really know what's going on. George has been in a very privileged position to go and actually meet Amanda, and that's, that's as you say, crazy to actually go and actually interview somebody who's involved in a potential takeover. But that's what you expect with Mike Ashley. Um, but I guess it's you know is what it, what are his what are his intentions? You let to believe he wants to move away to America and and potentially you know set up out there. He's probably following David Beckham's academy to set up a tap shop out there and you know, you know sells some Beckham shirts off the back of David's academy in Miami. But listen, we'll we'll, we'll you know we'll know a few. I think we'll know again as you see. I'm I'm confident. You know from from what I've I got out of my meeting with her, I feel that there will be this. Another bit, you know. Yeah, she has but I, I think I think probably the best way to deal with it as a fan is be like Luke, you know, expect nothing, expect nothing to happen. But I'll tell you what, if it does happen, we all know we'll have a big party. Yeah, Yay. yeah. 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 In the Irish. One really, really quick question. Hello, uh, I'm Cole. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm sorry to uh, <coughs> take myself away from uh, the lads who are local. Just want to answer. Ask a question, Luke and George. It's you've, you've been answering questions, you know, the ephemeral sort of thing, you know, about the um, uh, what we believe, you know, and what we hope. I'm asking a question about what you know, right? Oh, so, Christ! Jesus, we're bluffing for half an hour. Bearing in mind, bearing in mind, we've got hearts like lions that scored and scarred. Right, uh, from everything that's happened to it. But I want to know, you know, you're being London journalist and everything else. I just want you to tell me if you don't. Know. George is from. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you're a national journalist, right? Sorry to put it that way. Okay. You mate. Sorry, Luke. I am from London. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that's. Uh, all right. You're didn't worry. You want to put your mouth a little bit closer to the mic, a bit like I haven't been. 
Oh, right, here's my question. Sorry. Hey. How are Newcastle, you know, in your lobby, whatever it is you, you do, how are Newcastle United considered? In Nationally? Yes. I'm not talking about the fans. Right. They, that's a given. Okay. Well, Newcastle I'm, United, the football team. Ah, uh, okay. As a, some, someone who's not from the region, lived here for a very long time, just need to drop that in. Um, I, I think Newcastle are seen as a, as a tragedy. Uh, and I, I genuinely believe that. I think certainly across the north of England, I think there is um, a lot of respect for, for Newcastle, a lot of understanding for what they've gone through because a lot of clubs in the north of England have been through, through similar things and in the Midlands. I think in London, they're seen as Cockneys always look at Newcastle, which is they don't quite get it. Um, they don't understand it, they never will understand it, they can pretend they understand it, but they don't, and it's one of the reasons why I love this city, um, and, I lo and, I, and I love the football club, believe it or not, but um, it, it, it is because it is special, but they, they will never understand it in London, they will never know what makes it unique, they'll never understand why 52,000 people turn up to watch a pretty crap football team, they'll never understand why an entire city is interested in its football club, they just never get it, so that's just my very simplistic view of it. Do you mean by like our bosses? Do you mean by like? Do you mean by like my boss in London kind of thing? No, I just mean by your lobby, like the the, the football and, and the sport, the, the people of quality. Where are you? Know, I'll, I'll live here. I don't know any, any people yes, of quality. Hi, no, no, no. <laughs> 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 Within the media, I'm from the media. The media. I'm pissed off that uh, the last one is Guardian Moments when you're having a fight with your mates, oh, right. you know, the mirror and everything else. What is it you talk about? And what is it you think about Newcastle? <laughs> <laughs> so I live here. So when I, when I talk to people, I, talk, I don't know what you mean because I talk to Newcastle fans, so this is where I live, this is where I'm from. So I, I, I don't, I'm based here, I live here. So you, do, you have no contact with London teams? Yeah, but I go to the office twice a year. What does your boss think of Newcastle? Yeah, that's what she said. Well, well, I'm asking you just to get a bit well, clarity. Do you okay. think people think that we're a bit of a laughing stock? Yes! Well done, <laughs> will say to me, oh, there's always something to write about, about Newcastle, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's been the same fucking thing for 15 years. It's the same, it's the same, I've been writing, so there's that, there is that, Newcastle still has a reputation, but the reputation is not what I'd want it to be. I'd want that reputation to be playing brilliant football and being successful and, and challenging for trophies and being in Europe and all those kind of things. But the reputation is that there is this slow motion car crash going on. And I'll repeat. On repeat, yeah. and I'm expected to kind of pick the bones out of it, and and you know I joked about writing the same thing, but I do feel like that. I do feel like it's the same thing. 
year, year upon year upon year, you know, we're going through these transfer windows where, you know, nothing is happening effectively or very little is happening. And it's, you know, I could have, I could have just recycled what I wrote 12 months earlier or six months, six months earlier. There is this grisly fascination with Newcastle, but it's not, it's not for what it should be, which is a magnificent historical wonderful, beautiful, demented, ridiculous, gorgeous, black and white, bastard. Very briefly, just very, very briefly, to talk about the media attention in Newcastle on the Telegraph, which... Newcastle's web hits on our website are more than Manchester City, uh, more than Tottenham, uh, and I was told by my boss when I first mentioned the Telegraph from the journal, Newcastle United will always keep you in a job. So. Hey, hey. Right. Come on ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for our fantastic second panelist, George Luke Stevenson. At the end of this session, we're going to take some questions off the floor, and those questions are going to be available to whatever journalists are left at the end of the evening, so you can ask those questions to anybody who's around. Hello? Is anyone alright? Hello. Hey, it was getting a little bit heated before. It was brilliant, wasn't it? I was a bit scared. It was brilliant. I thought we were going to have a fight. I know. I had, I had skinchies. Right, well, introduce yourselves, guys and gals. I'm Louise Taylor from The Guardian. Mark Douglas from The Journal and Chronicle. I'm Alex Hurst, the editor of True Faith Fanzine. I'm Sam Campbell, I do a podcast for the lights on the Fanzine. Thank you very much. Right, the first question. Do the panel think Rafa Benitez regrets coming in Newcastle United? Has he ever been surprised by the, the negligence and lies of the owner? So, ooh, I, that's all right. Um, no, I don't think he regrets it one one bit. I think he knew exactly what he was coming into uh, as in terms of a football club. I think uh, I was told the day that he signed by somebody who knows his lawyers that um, he'd gone through the contract with a fine tooth comb. That's why the contract is structured as it is. We've made a big thing about uh, this break clause, which exists on both sides. But I think Rafa did that partly because you know if there was any funny business. You know, they, would, they would have to pay him as well because he knows what, what happened. So I think he knew what he was coming into. I think that he he always felt that Newcastle had the potential to be a kind of Liverpool, if you will, and, and a project that he could work on, a project that he could grow. I still think he still believes that within himself. I mean, in the summer, he was talking about that. He was talking about winning things. And, and I think he's been more dismayed than anything. Um, surprised by the negligence of the owner? Well, yeah, because... He came into it, he believed last two summers ago, he got the word that, you know, what Rafa wants, Rafa gets. He had a plan for two windows. I mean, we've talked about it before. He had uh, players lined up last winter who would have been Premier League players for Newcastle United. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, Andros Townsend, they were permanent, um, and he's doing really well for Palace at the moment. So he believed that he had this long-term, um, this long-term sort of project. And I think he was as surprised as anybody when 
last January we had Graham Carr start to get involved again. Um, this idea that um, his signings were starting to be doubted. You know, why have he signed him? He's, he's not going to. He's got no sell on. You know, it was all these kind of petty politics and things. And I think he thought um, at that point that that was going to be a hopefully a short term thing, and it was going to be we can convince him again. You saw again in the summer um, after they won the title. There was the you know the picture of him. Mike Ashley and Lee Charney with the trophy. I think he felt again that you know I can energise, I can re-energise this guy. He said that to us, you know, that I can re-energise, I can I can convince him. I've going, I'm going to go there with a business plan. I'm going to talk his language. You know, we've spoken about it here. Um, I'm going to I'm going to make money for him. And I think what's really dismayed him is the idea that uh, what does this guy want? What am I meant to do here? I, I I'm not asking for millions. You know, uh, the targets that he had in the summer were not. You know, multi-million pound players. They were guys who would come in and do a job for him in the positions that he wanted. But he, he, for some reason, Mike Ashley just doesn't seem to want to listen to that. And I think that's why in the summer um, it's going to be very difficult for him to believe anything that he's told by Mike Ashley. But I think, and I, I don't know whether the other guys agree with this, I think he is looking for any reason to believe in this project and to stay here. You know, he, he could have walked away numerous times, but he doesn't want to. He wants to stay here. He believes it's the best job for him. Yeah, he's cute. Yeah, he's political. He knows that this is a good job. He knows that he's not getting as much criticism here as he would have done at other clubs where, you know, because the results have been mixed this season. He knows that. You know, he's not stupid. But he wants to be here. And the most impressive thing for me is you've got this guy here who's basically saying, look, just, it's not... It's not make, give me a reason to stay, it's just don't give me a fucking reason to leave. Do you know what I mean? And that's basically what we sat there and said. I think he's a very realistic man, Rafa. But I think one thing he's perhaps slightly underestimated is how much of a high-stakes gambler Mike Ashley is. And he's a high-stakes gambler in his personal life. He likes a bet. And he is in his business life. And I think he, he hadn't realised that he would take such risks in, with relegation and he almost enjoys flirting, dallying with perhaps going down yeah. and so I think this is the one thing that, that Rafa with his pragmatism and his business plans and he's calculated everything to the fine detail, he thought it could be a meeting, a peculiar meeting of minds that although opposites in many ways they could not be soulmates, make a connection but, but athlete, Ashley as Steve said you can't second guess him and this gambling streak I think can't be underestimated. Um, the sad thing is that so many ingredients are right here, the size of the club, the support, the area, it's very much Rafa's type of city. If you look at Liverpool, Naples, Valencia, Madrid, there's common, common ingredients and, and I think he's very happy and as Mark said, he desperately, desperately wants to make it work. And he's, he's also hoping, I think, hoping almost against hope that the takeover might go through and he, and he can stay because I think he'd, he'd feel it was a missed opportunity. Um, I always remember when, when he was in charge of Chelsea and they lost at St James's Park, talking to him in the, in the Monday's press conference where you go in the corridor outside um, and he was sort of looking around and I think then, I thought, gosh, you'd like this job, you'd like to manage this club and here he is, but sadly, let's, let's not waste him. Yeah. I can't add anything um, more in terms of whether he regrets coming here or not. Um, 
the only thing I'd say that worries me, we're fortunate as true faith to be invited in the numerous uh, numerous times last season to meet him and this is a guy who hates losing um, with a passion. He was kind of scared me a little bit when he was talking about losing football matches and this is a guy who sees Antonio Conte, for example, as a contemporary, someone who loves to do battle with someone, someone who he would see as at his level um, and for us to go to Chelsea in the FA Cup or in the league and put in such a tepid performance. Not that I'm blaming the players or the manager in the second half wasn't great, but we played all right in the first half and we're still rubbish and comfortably beaten in 2-0 down on that. I totally agree with everything these guys have said here, but long term, as if this continues, I don't think Rafa Benitez, like all of us who enjoyed last night, no one, even at 1-0, it's so tense, it's so nerve-wracking. It's this is a guy who's used to winning football matches and the longer that he isn't provided with the correct tools to be able to even to compete against the majority of the sides in the league, I would I would worry about him and his affection for the club, which you guys are completely right about. But there has to be some give and take. It can't just be great fans, great city, great stadium, all this kind of stuff. The longer that we go on, going to Man United, getting turned over 4-1, going to Arsenal and doing all right for 60 and conceding, it's, it, that's not Rafa Benitez and it's not going to last forever. Thank you, thank you. Um, question for Louise. Um, how is Rafa perceived with your colleagues in the national press? And is there more interest in NUFC as a result of, of Rafa being here? Uh, you mean that my national colleagues, not, not just in the North East, because I mean, we, we all respect him here. I think, I think he is respected across the country. I think... Some, there's an element of, of cynicism in some quarters, perhaps perhaps in London. I think he is a politician, as we know, a master politician, but that is perhaps slightly hyped up, and and they can perhaps sort of detect political nuances that maybe even Rafa himself hasn't thought of. Um, I thought that Rafa would have raised the profile of Newcastle even higher, but I think you need the players to go with that, and because results have been so disappointing. I think whoever the manager is, I think Jose Mourinho would find that his his stock dipped if, if you're working in, in these circumstances. So there's, there's several factors. But yes, I think I think it's different from having Steve McLaren in charge. Thanks, Louise. Well, I'm having a bit of technical trouble here. Um, it was reported that Rafa Benitez spoke to Mike Ashley on the phone this week. Is this a sign of a dysfunctional football club and did Rafa feel he had to go over Lee Charlie's head? Well, it's definitely a dysfunctional football club. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I was speaking to somebody last week who said to me, you know, it's kind of like a house of cards. It looks fantastic from the outside, but you've got all these kind of things bubbling away in the background that you know the, the, the tax case which is which is going to be huge and you know we keep forgetting about how how you know potentially significant that is you've got um, the Peter Beersley thing at the moment that, that's kind of bubbling away in the background you've got uh, this managers thing that's bubbling away the takeover as well and you know I think for me that's 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 the problem that we, we have a football club that supposedly and I think Colin mentioned it before that supposedly hit run here it's it's in the heart of the city, and we all we all love that fact that the stadium's there and all that. But it's it's not really the power line is not here. I mean, I can't believe that when Mike Ashley had his High Court trial um, against I think it was Jeffrey Blue, wasn't he? he had that um, 
it was the uh, where, where he was uh, claiming that some business deal had been reneged on. And he sat there in the High Court and said, I am the last person to know what happens at Newcastle United's transfer business. Well, we've just heard from the manager three or four days ago that he had to speak to Mike Ashley to get permission to go and do the deals, or Mike Ashley was getting involved in the deals. So it's clear that for whatever Mike Ashley says, and I've spoken to people who were really senior at the football club who said to me, all Mike wants is for this football club to run on its own so he doesn't have to get involved in it. But that's bullshit, isn't it? Because he's, because he's involved in everything. He has his finger in every pie at Newcastle United. He, he, he wants to manage it. And he says that he doesn't, but he does want to manage it. So what happens, I think, is that when he goes away on holiday for two weeks, you have total paralysis. You know, he went away for the first two weeks of the transfer window. Nothing happened. He comes back. Suddenly, things start moving again. Rather starts getting some answers to questions that he needs to know. And I don't, you know, look, I know we sit here and, and, and a lot of people are very critical of Lee Charnley. Well, you know, I sat there when Steve McLaren um, got the job and I was speaking to somebody who was there at the club and, and I don't want to name him, um, but he was pretty senior at the time. And he said to me that the problem is Lee Charnley has a mortgage, he has a job, and he can't go against what Mike Ashley uh, thinks. So this person, this other person, was saying, well, look, so it's, 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 it means that other people at the football club have to kind of try and just edge in towards their thing. And it's this kind of like idea of, it's like a kind of, you know, it's the, the core of Mike Ashley. Everybody's got to kind of do something to try and just push it and edge it that way. And, you know, Rafa Peters does not need that, does he? You know, he's worked with some pretty high-profile people. He's been shafted at Real Madrid. He doesn't need to be shafted at Newcastle United, you know? And I think that's the, that's the issue for me is that, yeah, Effectively, you you know, he knows that until he gets a direct line from Mike Ashley, the things that he want to happen are not going to happen. Just a word on dysfunction. I mean, who knows what West Brom's owner was doing at the start of January, or Swansea's, or Watford's, or Stokes. It's just mental that you know Mike Ashley's been on holiday. Every single person in this room knows Mike Ashley's been on holiday. It's just absolutely bizarre, and it's just weird. Dysfunctional. Yeah. Anything to add to that? No. <laughs> Do you remember when he was a reclusive billionaire and everybody said he was reclusive and nobody knows anything about this guy. I don't know fucking too much now, don't we? <laughs> I, think, I think the key thing is, is that he's a control freak, Mike yeah. Ashley. And I think as much as he protests, thank you. As, as much as he protests that he, he doesn't know anything about transfers, I think he. He, it's really pound for pound value, as, as Lee Charnley famously said, and I think that this control freakery is is one of the big problems and one of the big contradictions in him. He's this gambler, but he is a control freak as well. And Rafa, of course, has got an element of that in him as well. So perhaps it was always at times going to be a, a tricky marriage. Thank you. Um, do the panel feel Rafa Benitez will sign a supposedly new contract that the club are willing to offer him if Mike Ashley is still at the club? Well, I think the guys who were up here on the panel before, you know, said it correctly. It, it would have to take something. It would have to take him to feel that something had changed from what's happened in the last twelve months for him to sign that contract. Um, I, I probably disagree with some people who say he's going to leave in the summer. I think. I think he'll probably try and see out his contracts, you know, unless he gets a really good offer from somewhere else, you know, a, a compelling offer. And I think, you know, that's always that's always a possibility. But I mean, he said to us 
you know, on the record, I'm off the record, that, you know, when he was at, um, it was Valencia, wasn't it? Or I can't remember exactly, but no, I think it was Valencia. That he, he gave them so many opportunities before he went to Liverpool. He, he gave them opportunities. He said, look, if you back me, I'll stay. If you keep, if you give me, I'll stay. And his, and his verdict of that was, look, they kept, they kept basically lying to me. They kept telling me they were going to give me one thing. Liverpool came in. Even when Liverpool came in, he told us that he went to the Valencia board and said, look, I've got this offer. Um, you know, I'm minded to go, but if you can give me a reason to stay, it's, you know, I'm here. And they didn't, so he went to Liverpool. And I think it's a similar thing here. He is, I, I think the only way he'll walk in the summer is if he gets a really good offer. He doesn't feel something's changed. But in terms of committing another four or five years to the club, well, no, of course he won't. I mean, that's, why would he? You know, apart from the fact he probably get, I mean, I might get a bit more money. But he knows that the only reason Mike Ashley is talking a contract with him is because he's trying to nail down every asset that he can to the football club. And he knows, look, they've not got any players up there who are drawing the cameras here. You know, people, the, the reason Newcastle are on TV all the time is because it's a big club, because there's a lot of people come to watch them, and also because there's this kind of Rafa sideshow as well. But Mike Ashley, no, he's not, you know, he's, he's not stupid enough. That, that, Why ask the question in January? Why ask the question of Rafa in January? Why ask the question of the contracts question? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, isn't there a simple way to show your commitment to Rafa exactly. and Chandler? Exactly. Well, it's another, it's another complete amusement, isn't it? But they, they, they've made contact with him about a contract before, haven't they? They've tried to, to, to sort of have conversations with him before. And I think it's, you know, who, who knows why that was? I think that was for show a little bit. I think that was, again, it was another PR move, wasn't it? She's, she said she wants Rafa. OK, well, we want, we want, we want him as well. And I think it was a little bit of that. It was a PR game. They, just like Luke said, he didn't think that Amanda Stavely knew. He thinks Amanda Stavely knew she wasn't going to get the bids. But whatever you think of that, I think they knew he wasn't going to sign the contract. Of course, he's not. He's not stupid. I mean, why would he? Why would he? No. Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of gamesmanship there. I mean, I think part of of, of Rafa has got a romantic streak, and he wants it to be right, and he wants it to stay. Wants to stay. But on the other hand, um, Mike Ashley and the club have done a lot to diminish him. I mean, for example, in many of our press conferences, Keith Bishop, Mike Ashley's PR advisor, sits in. He says nothing, but he's essentially a spy and a minder. And um, and the top of the has to be He says, he's And for a manager of that stature, who's won lots of trophies, the Champions League, um, if you go to major coaching conventions, he's, he's really illustrious. To, to have a, a Keith Bishop, um, the Bishop of Soho, as he styles himself, <laughs> um, um, making him watch his step. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and I think it shows how much Benitez really wants to be here. Because could you see, could you see a Jose Mourinho, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, Arsene Wenger standing for it? So but the danger is that at some point, if he snaps, and then... <coughs> Mike Ashley's got a big decision to make. Rafa's got a big decision to make. So there's there's loads of, of hazards, potential hazards. I think I think the summer is tricky because the six million exit clause, even if it's not removed in the summer, it's legally got to diminish as he winds into the final twelve months of his deal. And I think his his stock is still high. I think other clubs will, will want him. I think because of his his daughters being teenagers, he wants to stay in England. His family home's on the Wirral. So he probably won't move to Europe. And there are a limited number of clubs of the stature that he would like to manage in England. But even so, it's not inconceivable that someone will come in. And as we know, things happen very quickly in football. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be very confident at all of him staying if Mike Ashley is still in charge.
Oh, a question on the list. Oh, it works when the question goes. When Keith Bishop's at the press conference, do you press lads? Do you speak to him? Are you, does he say in the eye? Does he look really mean at the back of the room? Does he say good morning? We did ask Keith actually to come tonight, but he, he didn't get back to me. Um, neither did Lee Charlie or anyone from the football club or Sky Sports. Um, yeah, so just my press, my question to the press guys is, you know, is it just weird having them there at the back looking over you? Do you speak to them? Like, what's the crack? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really... Really fucking weird. <laughs> I've never, you know, he's supposedly this big PR guru, right? And I don't know about any, any of the other guys, but I can only speak for myself in that. Honestly, I've never spoken to him. I've never had a phone call from him. I've never had an email from him. I've never had a direct message on Twitter from him. Um, I've just never had any contact with him. And if he was supposedly a PR guru doing things for Mike Ashley and the football club, you'd think he'd speak to the people who write about Newcastle United. <laughs> well, at least try and speak to the people who... Like, I, I just I can't understand that because, you know, Newcastle United have a media team and uh, I speak to them all the time and, they, you know, and they're, they're, they're actually pretty good. You know, they, they, you know, we have our arguments, we have our fallouts and stuff, but they, you know, you, 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 it's fair game, isn't it? You can fall out with people, but Keith Bishop, I've never, ever spoken to and he's never made any effort to try and influence the agenda of, uh, of the Chronicle or Journal, and I know that's the kind of it's a trope that a lot of people put out is Keith Bishop's kind of lying and spinning and stuff, but he just doesn't. So I find it really weird. I don't know about, I don't yes. know about you. Do. I totally agree. I mean, it's it's surreal. I mean, he's the only PR guy that that I've ever seen that doesn't really seem to do any PR. <laughs> I mean, Mike Ashley apparently pays an awful lot of money, but uh, but in Wendy Taylor they've got an excellent excellent press office ahead of communications. So I mean, I think his sole function is to be basically the spy, the spy in the, in the camp. But he's never. Certainly, when I've never been there, he's never introduced himself to us. No. I mean, I've never no. said a word. Uh, he was there. For, he's been there for such a long time as well. It's been like way back to the Alan Pardew days, like 2011, I think. He's been coming to press conferences on and off for seven years. And I remember, like, I thought he was Alan Pardew's mate for a while. And I was just like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Why is he the guy in the weird suit and sort of all that? And, you know, it was like, who is he? I thought he was, I think he was a journalist for a while. He's just one, like one of the kind of. Um, one of the sort of quiet guys at the back, just like, oh, no, he's Keith Bishop, all right, he's the, he's, he's the kind of brains behind the operation, but you never know who he is. He might be really good. I don't know. Yeah. So do you get less off the record with Rafa when he's there? You know, we've all said there's off the record off Rafa the record. and on the record with Rafa. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, it's... Uh, Does he, is he more guarded when Bishop's there? Yes. Yeah. Thank that yes. Yeah. Good question. Yes. Thank you. Can you repeat the question before you answer is he more guarded? Is he more guarded when Keith Bishop's yeah. here? And you know, I think that's what he's there for. But but you know, when Rafa when Rafa goes off the record, he's not he's not sitting there saying stuff that's that's kind of you know legally going to get him into trouble. It's just stuff that you know just to give you a bit of background so you know what's going on. Like why you know that's it. It's not it's not like you know it's not it's not it, that's the thing. He doesn't need to be there. He doesn't need to be. <laughs> nah. Yeah. He's not based in the North East, is he? So it's a kind of threat for him to come for a press conference. Yeah. I think so. I mean, as I said, I really don't know anything about him. Based in Soho, of course. Yeah. Of course. Can, so, have you got, any of you guys? Yes, I can, I, can, I can tell him. Can I have the mic? I'll tell him very quickly. George, you want to get a bit? No, no, no. Sorry. Um, so, I have met Keith Bishop a couple of times and I've actually got pissed with him. It's fine. It's George. Sorry, George. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got pissed with him. The first question is Bishop. 
the first time I'd heard that Steve McLaren had been given an official this is what he does. <laughs> George has said he doesn't come out of this story very well, so now I really, really want to hear this. Is this safe, just for the podcast, is this safe for uh, under 18s to hear, George? No, right, okay. Oh, forget it. Oh, no, yeah, George. Hey, George, come on. We all are here. Come on, come on. Thank you, time, George. Come on, George. stage, sorry. I don't come out of the story very well. I don't really know why I want to tell it. I have met him. I met him. He came up to Newcastle, as he does. I'd heard that Steve McLaren had been given an official written warning for discussing Newcastle's transfer policy in public. So we talk about dysfunctional football club here. As had his assistant, yeah. um, was his assistant? Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Simpson, Paul Simpson yeah. for talking about transfers on Radio Newcastle. I mean, absolutely laughable. So I found this out, I talked to the club. It happened that Steve uh, Keith Bishop was, uh, was up in Newcastle. All right, come to the bar, let's have a chat with him. He completely denied it, even though it was absolutely true. Um, and, and so, but he poured a lot of wine, this was in his station bar. And I kind of had a glass of wine and got increasingly ranty, as I'm prone to do about Newcastle, and as I've done tonight, and uh, more and more ranty. Anyway, the evening ended with me um, pissing all over a Christmas tree and uh, the um, So I lost all moral authority. I lost all moral authority. Um, that's my key vision. But he, um, he, we haven't had many conversations since, but for possibly for the obvious reasons. But it, it is this incredibly peculiar system uh, situation where he has Newcastle as a client, he has Mike Ashley as a client, and he has Russell. Oh, I want to tell the Russell Grant story now. He has Russell Grant as a client. He has Linda Sardi as a client. He has all these. We, um, he came across to Dublin for pre-season uh, when Newcastle were based and we were based and the club was very open and he actually came out for a meal with us and he was regaling stories about all these sort of D-list, B-list, C-list celebrities that he, that he works with and what he seems to do is just basically go to the pub in Soho and, and chat and chat some people with wine and Obviously, my tolerance for wine was a lot, a lot less good than his, but I think it was my favourite quote. Is it this season? Sort of just this season. He was talking about Russell Grant. He said, You know what, Russell Grant? He's a hard cut. <laughs> <laughs> it's just end the nightmare. <laughs> Nobody will tell a better Russell Grant story than that. I've got, more, I've got more questions for George. <laughs> yeah, you look off, just George. Um, Mark, does Rafa's constant requests for support for the team from the fans prevent the Chronicle from taking more of an anti-Ashley um, editorial line? 
Um, I think it's not so much the, the editorial line of the Chronicle that it's it's more is there a mood amongst supporters when Rafa is asking for support to to rebel? And I think you know I I have quite a lot of debates with people on Twitter about um, and, and social media really, the or whatever about. Um, what the Chronicle should do. Sorry, and I'm, two seconds. Yeah. Never asked for rebel. Just said Rafa no. asked for rebel. No, I'm saying no, no, I'm saying he doesn't. I'm saying he asked for support. I'm saying he's. No, you, you just said there, Rafa asks for rebel. No. Asked for rebel. No, no, no. I meant he asked for support. Well, yeah. No, what well, he asks for support for the team. If Rafa does ask for support for the team. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you said. He asks for a spell. Yes, for a No, no, I wouldn't say that. Because he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't at all ask. For, sorry, that's. If anybody thought that's what that's what I said. Uh, that's that's not what I meant at all. He asks for support for the team. And um, what I mean is that you know I don't think there's necessarily a massive appetite while he's asking for that, and while people want to get behind Rafa um, for, for for that kind of rebellion on the terraces. And I think you know the, the reason that. We're talking in, in here about 52,000 people being in the stadium because it's you know it's great that there wasn't 52,000 people in the stadium before Rafa came. I think people came and, and, and they support the team and they want to support the team because Rafa's here because that's what people want to do. You talk about the kind of editorial line of the Chronicle, and I think we're always kind of open to however it you know however things however things move. It's it's difficult at the moment because I don't think there is necessarily that sentiment for it. But you know if there's if there's a role that we can play, I think you know we're obviously open to that, and and you know we've run quite a lot of front pages, but is that enough? I don't know. You know maybe maybe there is something else we can do. Like obviously my editor's not here, and he's the one who, who who sets the kind of editorial line, and I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth. But I think we're quite hard on on the regime in in uh, in terms of our critique of it. It's whether we could do something more. But you know when there was um, the rebellion and whether when there was the kind of boycotts and things we gave a lot of coverage to them. We have been banned for eighteen months as a as an organization for what they believed. I think it was the second march that Steve was talking about. We put it on the front page with a uh, march if you want Ashley out, I think it was the front page. They took that as us siding with the support. I think it was, you know, I don't know whether it was necessarily that, but that's what they said. Banders, we were out for eighteen months. Um, and you know it's not as if we haven't done it, but I think yeah. If you're asking me, does does the fact that Rafa is asking for support for the team have an impact? Of course it does. And you know, I think as a newspaper group, we're massively behind Rafa, and I think you can see that. Of course, we've got to critique what he what he does and stuff. But as a the principle of Rafa being here and everybody being behind Rafa, I think you know, as a as a, as a local newspaper, of course we're behind that because we know that that's what people want, isn't it? Um, Anybody's got anything to add to that? Can we get more from Cole at the back, please? <laughs> Just really quickly, like, I put out uh, your requests, and I all come from supporters, and that was one of the most asked questions, was kind of criticism of the economy. So I think, I think that's a great answer you've given, I totally agree with you. It was just really interesting that there is an aspect of the support that wants the press to do more against Ashley. I don't know whether that's the case in the room. But, you know, we're going to certainly look at ourselves and look at the supporters, as, as people have talked about before me. But, yeah, it was, it was weird, the amount of questions that came in. Can I, can I tell a story that doesn't involve Russell Grant being... Uh, <laughs> the, um, it, the day we were banned, the day we were banned, um, we... Uh, I remember it was just after the, the, they lost to Sunderland. 
and uh, we got fantastic support from our colleagues in the national media. They were absolutely fantastic, and it was it was really sort of you know it, it kind of it was quite it's quite grim because nobody wants to be banned. It is a bit of a badge of honour in some ways, but at the same time, it makes your job incredibly difficult. And it was the days before it was the first time I had been banned, and obviously you're kind of sitting there thinking, well, how are we going to do our job day to day? I think now we'd be a lot more sort of well. The, the media's moved on, but um, you know, we, we, we went into that game. I think they played, played Chelsea was the first game, and we printed out a load of front pages. And we were we thought from the mood that was on social media, and from the mood that everybody had sort of communicated to me was, everybody's behind you. You guys go for it now. And we printed this front page, which was like, this is a message for Mike Ashley. And then the team beat Chelsea, and I remember walking, and I remember Alan Pardew afterwards came out and said. That was for Mike, right? And and I thought, um, you know, that was probably both me and Alan, probably our relationship started to go downhill after that. Um, and I remember walking, and I remember thinking, right, okay, you know, fair enough. And I remember walking behind these two guys who were sort of like early 60s or whatever, and they were sitting, and we were walking off, and they were going, do you know what? That local newspaper got what it fucking deserved because they've been so negative about the football club all week, and we've won. And do you know what? That's one of them. And I thought, wow, yeah, it's not as easy as everybody telling you on social media that they're behind you. It is, it is, you have to be aware of the fact that what you hear on social media is a sort of quite a small percentage of what people are saying. And I think as a newspaper group, you have to be, you have to feel like there's a movement because I think you've seen it with the Gazette at Middlesbrough. They're currently in a weird situation with Middlesbrough where they need a ban, but they're saying the two reporters who they feel are critical are not, you know, are not are not being allowed into the press conferences and stuff. And a lot of Middlesbrough fans are with the club on that, and it's fair enough because you know everybody takes their side. So it's not as easy as people saying to you, "Get him out," because Amanda Staley's put two hundred fifty million pounds in front of him and hasn't got him out. We've put loads of front pages out that have kind of basically said, look, go for this. We've tried it that way. We've tried to engage with them, tried to get them to answer questions. You know, I've got, I sat down with Lee Charnley two years ago. That's and we thought... Written, man. Yeah, That's it is. Written. And we all thought we that... Want stop shouting. Yeah. All we want is the... Yeah. And, right. but, Order. When, Order. We sat, when we sat down with Lee Charnley, we've got the answers from Lee Charnley, and we thought this is the beginning of a bridge-building exercise. We've all, all the guys here have thought that it was it was starting of something new they were going to be open we thought two summers ago this club is changing and it didn't and this is the problem you're dealing with somebody who so it doesn't give a shit in one way but at other times it's it's very difficult to know exactly what he wants and what does he want you know does he want an uncritical media or does he want it? It, it's it's difficult to deal with and i understand why people think that we should be taking up arms and things like that but you know at the moment it's you know, you're almost looking for a lead from, you know, we're almost all in this room looking for a lead from somebody else. And so it's really, really difficult. And I feel for you that, do you know what? Like everybody feels frustrated with the football club because it feels like it's ready for lift off. And as I said, if there's something that we can do, and if there's a way that we can, um, if there's a way that we can bring positive change to the football club, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Because we know, you know, it not only, you know, it's not only good for the football club and the fans, but a successful Newcastle United would sell a shitload of papers, would it? <laughs> Get a shitload of people clicking on yeah. your website as well. Yeah. I would say I think Mark's coverage is excellent, and it's a, in a very, very tricky job. Absolutely.
what outside sports directors, Mike Ashley was in, was making Newcastle United successful. Sports director would be a popular brand in Newcastle if, if Newcastle United was successful and they thought the owner was committed. Amanda State, isn't it? You know, people don't mind if she takes money out of the football club if it's really successful and he's making enough money for her to do that. It's fair enough. It's not a charity. You know, we know that. Which it was in some ways, but it's, it's not. That's not how it works in football, is it? Thank you. Um, I've got a question here for Simon. Does Rafa know his true value to NUFC and the support? Being in yet another relegation battle is surely a professional humiliation for him? Right. I've got nothing on his bedroom, um, nor have I weed on a Christmas tree ever. So, um, as Alex mentioned before, we went to meet Rafa um, about this time last year. Uh, at, the, at the training ground, and I was starstruck. I was, uh, I couldn't believe I was going to be Rafa Mendes um, as, as a humble fan who does a. You're welcome. And yeah, I couldn't believe it. But within within ten minutes of sitting with him, you realise he's just like he's just a bloke who loves football, and I felt immediately comfortable. And you talk to him about football like you do with your friends, and um, I think Craig said it before. You, you immediately realise how hard this man works, and he's. It was sad here, you say, and I, I believe exactly what you said, he works so hard and a lot of that just goes to waste, and that's, that's shocking to hear, but you, you immediately realise that if you've got your Pardews, your Allardyces, your McLaren, uh, John Carver on his golf course, none of those guys are working anywhere near as hard as Rafa Benitez. So, and, he, and he knows it as well, so I, I don't think he's sitting there thinking, um, sitting there thinking that uh, he doesn't realise how much he means to us. Um, Bear with us, I've got my notes. <laughs> Listen, um, I, th I think the difference at Newcastle, and I think that uh, Liverpool, Valencia, maybe Tenerife, some of those old clubs, and not Real Madrid and Napoli, is that you get appreciated here. And so that hard work at Newcastle will always be appreciated, and I think everyone in this room agrees with that. He's, he didn't get that Madrid, he didn't get that Napoli, so the timing was perfect when he came here. A football club with a fan base that will appreciate someone who works hard and works for the fans and works for the football. George said before that Newcastle's training ground is shit and that uh, kind of killed me a little bit inside. Not because I think Newcastle's training ground is good, but I got taken around last August by Rafa. And it, you've all seen probably the, there's been a, a video going on social media of Gary Lineker with uh, Sir Bobby Robson and he's, he's talking about doors and wood and frames. And that's the passion that Sir Bobby had for Newcastle United and St James's Park. And Rafa was taking me and nobody around the training ground um, and he was pointing out a light he'd put in here, he'd changed the paint here, he'd done this in the showers here and he'd done something with the weights, the weights were a different angle because it was better for the lads to be looking at each other or something weird like that. But it, this, was a, this was a bloke who was spending time, which just by the way at this point in this meeting we just lost the first two games of last season at the full of and we shite in both of them. Um, and here he was on a Monday afternoon after that, showing some stranger his work and the training, he was so proud, he clearly was so proud of every little aspect of being considered, and that's when George said it, shit, I just thought, you, 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 George will know he's been to Brighton, he's been to Middlesbrough, he's been to Sunderland, he does the training ground to her, like, it, this is a bloke who just puts, like, there is, I don't believe there is an aspect of Newcastle United that he can improve that he hasn't, whether it be Paul Dummett's position, which is way better than it was before he turned up the club, whether it was, you know, Jamal Lascelles' influence um, as, as a leader across the club. 
you know, whether it was hostelers finishing, I'm just joking. You know what I mean? Always tell the But this, this is a bloke that, and then, anyway, to, to move it on, then I had to do it all again when Cy turns up three months later, and we did the exact same thing, and it was as proud three months later, and he'd even made a couple more improvements. It was like, this is a bloke who probably spent so much time, I mean, we, we this, the last time, the next time I saw him, we played Birmingham at home, or beaten 4-0, great days last season there, beaten 4-0 on a Saturday, and he showed me inside how we're going to beat Birmingham. Again, two nobodies, he took over the computer and said, this is how these lads can't see their goals. Birmingham were fifth under Gary Rowett at the time. I don't know how Birmingham are gone on this week, anyone know who they're But uh, anyway, this is a guy who clearly just spends all of his waking hours, he must, I don't know, you, you lads know better than me how much time he actually spends at the training going, I'd be worried about him personally. He must spend so much time there and it's just incredible the amount of effort that goes in by one man, by one man, everything you've heard tonight is the antithesis of that in terms of the people that surround him, the people that are above him. That's it really. Uh, Tammy Abraham to stand for Newcastle, which is, you know, kind of really like, that's the kind of effort that the guy's going into, and it's not being backed up by, by the people above him, really, and that's the, that's the shame, that all that effort's going in and it's going to waste. Thank you. Are there any questions off the floor for these guys on the stage? Right, you're going to have to bear with us with the microphone here, I'll try my best to get to you. What is your question? See a bogey if I uh, misheard what uh, the lads said before about the uh, rebellion. So of course, um, what my question is is, isn't it just a massive game of chess? So you've got the sociopath in Mike Ashley. You've got someone in Amanda Savory who is, if she wants a club, but is there a way around this negotiation table? Isn't there a way that? should have been sorted out earlier, or isn't this the way that was always going to be? Was it always going to be a drawn out affair? Thank you. Well, I think what we really need is is an ex-party, Mr. Mr. X coming or Mrs. X, and, and introduce a third party to this takeover to have another serious bidder, and then we would really see Amanda Stavely's credentials and see whether Mike Ashley really wanted to sell. And I think we need perhaps a serious player because the thing with Amanda Stavely is she was looking for backers and investors and we don't know who those are or whether they really exist. And it would be great, say with Abu Dhabi, which um, brought Manchester City, if we had something like that, I mean, perhaps a sovereign wealth fund is, is perhaps a little optimistic, but, um, but you never know. But I think when you get these consortiums with assorted investors, it, it can be difficult. And because Mike Ashley is clearly a fairly impossible man to, to bargain with, you need somebody like, like that that's perhaps on a different stratosphere to him that could just sweep him away and they wouldn't be trying to put each other in corners. So you need someone else, I think, to enter the equation. But, I mean, thinking about Abu Dhabi, I think they did look at this club really, really seriously and opted for Manchester City, and that was... That was a really pivotal sliding doors moment in this in this club's history, and I think a, another one is needed. Thank you. Any more questions? You have to come to me, guys, because my cable isn't long enough. Yeah, I need a long neck cable. Hi. 
this is this was leading on from the uh, the, the earlier panel actually um, it was mentioned that the stories that were, were leaked over the takeover came from the Stavely camp, and yet this mysterious second bid came out. So the uh, the journalist who printed that, I don't know, I think it's one, I'm not certain, I think one journalist possibly looked to do did you write a story about the uh, a mysterious second bid from, uh, from Dubai? So, so where did that story come from? No, I think. No, sorry, do you mean, do you mean the, the other? The other party, there's somebody else coming uh, in. But there was a story about it. It's Craig here. So Craig's the winner. Yeah. Craig wrote something. He's probably got. But I've. Oh, it's rubbish. Sorry. No, no, it's. Listen, you speak to so many people around this, and there's a case of lies and half-truths and who do you believe and who do you not believe and this feels like a, I don't know, like takeover's anonymous. But they did, they did say, Newcastle did say to Stavely that there was another bid. Yes. Yeah, they did, yeah. Throughout all of this, uh, Newcastle's Ashley's side have been telling us the press there was a, a second investor party who could pay him or willing to pay three hundred million pound. Well, throughout all of it, you've got to think who do you believe and who do you not believe in. You don't want to be caught in the middle of something reporting on on, on someone else's lies, basically. It's, you've got to try and fish out the bullshit and, and what you believe to be true. Now, I think the story you referred to there was something completely different, whereby I was contacted about three or four weeks ago uh, by an intermediary of a, a second group who claim to be from Dubai, who say they've got the, the means to pay £300 million, but they are waiting until the TV deal, until the, the club's Premier League statuses is secured one way or the other. Whether they're genuine or not, I don't know. And the way I wrote the story was, was very simple. And I said, they claim to have this, they claim to have that. Are they genuine? I honestly don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the one thing I will say on, on Stavely is that, uh, and this was said to me, I don't know the answer to this. Like I said, it's, it's like, take was anonymous. We all are really struggling around grasping for the, for the truth, really. Someone said to me, if Mike Ashley went back to her tomorrow, and perhaps George can answer this, and said, okay, Amanda, you've got a deal of £250 million, the club is yours, could she pay the £250 million? It was suggested to me that as of tomorrow, she probably couldn't. The Liverpool game was, this is what's been said to me, I don't know if it's true or not, I really don't. The Liverpool game was almost a pitch for investors. It was, I'm Amanda Stavely, I'm here, I'm willing to buy a football club. I do believe she was genuine. I think she wants to buy Newcastle. I think she's got good intentions for Newcastle, but I don't think the money is there. I really don't. The Liverpool game was very carefully coordinated how her presence was leaked to the media, how it then snowballed, and we all jumped on the back of it, and everyone was doing background checks on Amanda Stavely. All of a sudden, we were reporting without doing any sort of real digging that she had this, what was it, 28 billion pounds, 28 billion pound investment fund behind her. If she had 28 billion pound, I'm sorry, she would have paid 300 million pounds for Newcastle. <laughs> that was quite clearly not, not, not true. Either. Yeah, but that's set. I mean, that's... Yeah, but, but that, that, that is what was reported. So, so, and I will finish this quickly. My feeling is that the Liverpool game was a, a come on for investors from the Middle East, from wherever. She then got the Rubin brothers involved, albeit a, 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 a lukewarm interest, tentatively. It was no surprise that their, 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 their promise of, of backing came in November and that was the exact time when, when the office went in for the football club 
I probably think that their ceiling for the club was £250 million, which is the reason Amanda Stavey's bid was capped at £250 million. As soon as they withdrew in November, this has been confirmed by David Collins' piece in The Guardian, that is when all dialogue broke off in November, early December time. We've heard nothing since. I do believe she wants to buy the club and she's keeping all of this going in the hope that somebody else will come on board and give her the money she needs to get the deal done. I hope that does happen. But as of now, if you went back to her tomorrow and said, Amanda, where's the £250 million? I don't think she's got it. And George, I'll give you the chance to answer that. Yeah, cheers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I can't answer that because, uh, I mean, and I, again, I have to be careful not to sort of break confidences when I was in her company, but I was shown, I was shown, I was shown evidence of proof of worth and things like that. Now, I've got no way of independently verifying that, obviously, um, but there will be no, I mean, if, 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 that, if that proof of worth is is genuine, then there'll be no problem. <clears throat> you know, she, the, the, the amount of money that she had at her fingertips within 10 or 14 days of asking the bank for it would blow the, you know, the, the, the bids, the, the necessary finance, that kind of out of the window. But that's, in some ways, that's not relevant because this is a bid that has been, so the form of words that's used is that she has a 28 billion pound um, investment fund that she controls. That is irrelevant in terms of this bid. This bid is, to a large extent, her plus other bidders plus, to use her quote, sovereign wealth. So that's how the bid is made up. I've got no. I mean, you say could she could she summon up that money? I, I mean, I can't answer that except that except to say that I know that she would say she could. But you wouldn't have to do it in a, in a but, matter of days. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she would say that she could, but that, of course, that's that's sort of meaningless. But I mean, I'd actually say she she couldn't, and that's where we're still. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, we've got no, we've got no way, we've got no way of verifying that one way, you know, one way or the other. The big test, you know, at some point, if she wants to prove that she's a credible owner of a football club, she has to buy a football club, and there's no other way. There's no way around that, and I think she knows that, but. What she says is she will own a football club at some point and she wants it to be Newcastle. Do, do you agree? Do you think that what else? Do you agree that the Liverpool game was a come on for investors? It was an advert. That's how it, it looked to me and that's how it's been portrayed to me in the past two weeks. Absolutely. Don't you ask uh, no, I mean I've got no. I, 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 that, the, the way the way that's been explained to me was what I sort of said on stage was that uh, people around her have. So she she looks Liverpool. She looked at other clubs like Leeds, and they they backed away from that. And the people close to her were saying that Newcastle was the best option for her. And part of the process was about getting her to a Newcastle game to watch to watch it. And she she went along. She was blown away by what she saw and what she heard and the potential. She now I'm making this sound very romantic, but that's how it's been sort of portrayed to me. And that that was what that was what persuaded her to make a bid, and then a bid actually came that month. So at the time, Newcastle briefed that she was a time waster. Newcastle briefed that she hadn't met people in the boardroom, or that it wasn't an official meeting. But she did. She she shook people's hands, and she opened up a chain of dialogue, which led to emails, which then a month later led to an official bid submitted by Freshfields with Chris Moore as her lawyer. So. 
if it's if that was about her drumming up money, then it worked pretty quickly. I mean, I don't know where you know. I don't know where. You, look, I mean, I can't answer that question. I absolutely can't answer that question. But that's not the way she she's portrayed it. Anymore. Thank you very much, guys. On that note, we're going to call an end to tonight's proceedings. Um, can you just put your hands together for all of the journalists who have attended tonight? Um, to give you the time, they're to talk to you guys and answer your questions. So thank you very much to everybody for being here this evening. Um, thank you, True Faith, for another fantastic event. Uh, I'm sure they'll let you know if there's going to be another one in the near future, and I hope you do come along. Uh, keep your questions coming in. Alex? Yeah, thank you, Sharon, for being a brilliant host once thank again. You, Sharon, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I think, um, it's a, it, again, we sold out this event in nine days, which was incredible. Um, shows the passion there is for football from Newcastle United and how much everyone fucking hates Mike Ashley. <laughs> so, thank you. We've raised, we've raised nearly 1,900 quid tonight, which is going to go to a fantastic place. So, well done, all you guys. Thank you. Thank Uh, one final plug for the two made shirts at the back there. Come on, grab one on the way out. Goes to a great course and it's much better than the, the tacky stuff the team wear at the moment. So cheers, thanks for coming over. Thank you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.